Hey everyone, it's Michael. Before we get to our first segment, want to give a quick shout out to insider Kieran O'Conlon in Ireland who writes, Brilliant show, guys. I've been a big fan of all your work, and it's the best I've found in lots of searching. Very little waffle, technically based info, visuals, and superb guests. Top drawer. Thanks, Kieran. And if you want to get a shout-out, just leave a review on iTunes. Literally takes 10 seconds and helps us out tremendously. If you don't have an iPhone, borrow a friend's iPhone. It's just that easy. Thanks for all your support, and on with the show. Welcome to Inside the 18. I'm Michael Madgett, live from Hollywood, California. With me is 99 World Cup winner, Suskia Weber, uh, who, um, if you guys can't, uh, can't see us right now, uh, we've been having a little bit of technical difficulty, so this will be up shortly uh, on Facebook and uh, then obviously on all the other platforms. That's a weird way to start. Uh, joining us today, dealing with these technical difficulties, uh, you know him as York City goalkeeper coach, Andy Collett. Andy, what's up, man? Thanks for, uh, thanks for dealing with all of this. Absolutely no problem, guys. I, I'm, I'm sitting watching you trying to get it fixed up and sorted. Yeah, it, I think it's the fires. Just blame, oh the, fi <laughs> blame the fires. I'm going to blame the fires. <laughs> That's a no really problem. good point. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's just, I'm going to blame everything on the fires, to be honest. Blame with you. the Whenever fires. Anything bad is going on, I'm just blaming the like fires. Like your haircut? Is my haircut that bad? No, I'm Jeez. kidding. <laughs> it was just too easy. <laughs> I'm blaming my haircut on the fires. I was freaking out. I was like, I thought no, I it looks nice. Haircut. It looks oh, okay. nice. Okay. Well, I'm not wearing a hat. It's a big step for me. It's a big step. I am. Well, today, guys, we're not going to be talking about uh, fires and haircuts. Uh, we're going to be talking about U23 goalkeepers, that final phase of youth development. Kind of before we go into that whole topic and everything, though. Andy, for some of the people out there who might not be familiar with the work that you're do doing at York City FC, they're probably like. If they're in the United States, they might be like, I'm not exactly sure what York City FC is. Like, is that a USL team? And I'm like, no, that's actually in the UK. It's got a, a, a lovely history and everything like that. Uh, why don't you kind of, you know, kind of explain your journey, you know, from your playing background, you know, kind of uh, in, into your coaching over at York City. And then obviously with, um, you know, with your academy. I started uh, as, so I was a professional goalkeeper. Um, over here in the UK, I played for Middlesbrough, um, made a couple of appearances as a 19-year-old when they were in the, uh, the first year of the Premier League, um, played a couple of appearances there, then moved on to um, Bristol Rovers, um, which were in the UK, um, so now that would be classed as League One, um, made hundred and 40 appearances approximately for them and then moved to Darlington which in the U again in the UK is League 2 um, played another 150 games approximately uh, and then um, snapped my shoulder so I was um, playing literally one one day um, 29 year old and came out for a cross took a whack on the, the my back really um, and um, snapped my acromium joint. So specialists just said, look, it's a, it's a injury that goalkeepers don't really recover from. Um, so probably had two, three weeks off. The manager then at Darlington, um, there wasn't a full-time goalkeeper coach sort of back then. There was goalkeeper coaches that were sort of doing a day at one club, a day at another club. 
um, sort of people like Eric Steele would go into one club on the morning, go to another club on the afternoon. Um, and the manager just said, would you be interested in doing some coaching? Um, started the coaching. Um, no experience of coaching really, obviously apart from just working with, um, you know, a few, <laughs> a few coaches and, um, and then enjoyed it. Um, went down the coaching qualifications route. Um, and I've, um, I've managed to stay in professional full-time football uh, at several different clubs over here in the UK, as well as um, starting my own um, coaching academies, coaching young goalkeepers, coaching, um, we have outfield coaches as well. Um, and yeah, it's, um, yeah, I think it's the next best job to, uh, to play and that's for sure. Nice. I mean that. That I mean that's that's phenomenal. That's what's crazy to me is to think of that d- during that time period that goalkeeper coaches, kind of like youth clubs here in the United States, would go from from place to place to place as opposed to being specifically for one location. Because that's got to be a little bit of a conflict of interest. Like you're training that guy, but he's playing against the other guy on Sunday. Like how does how does that work out exactly? Like uh, you just have to. I guess you just have to be really moral about it. So yeah. I think it was just, I mean, actually, you know, it, it will still happen um, over here in the UK. Um, you know, goalkeeper coaching still isn't valued uh, as much as it should be. Um, obviously, you know, I'm at York City, which are probably step seven, six or seven. And I, I would probably think there would be one, maybe two professional goalkeeper coaches full time um, within the league that I'm in. Um, it's an area that is uh, is still neglected, um, and when money's tight, um, the goalkeeper department is. To go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's an area. That, well, you know, you guys can kick a few balls between you on the side, um, and it really depends. I think it really depends on the manager um, that you that you're going to work for. And um, I've had some managers that have been brilliant. Of just sort of look, I want you in full time. I'll give you a good salary, and I want you to make sure that the goalkeepers are, are performing as well as they can. And I've had other guys that, uh, other managers that probably you know haven't been as understanding. And uh, and there's been a couple that uh, you have know, definitely clashed with along the way. So, um, but yeah, it, it's an area that in the UK it still can be massively improved. I feel. You you know that that's amazing because. Uh... Suskia, I, I don't know about you, but I didn't know. I, we have this whole image in the United States that you guys have everything on point <laughs> at, at, at every minute. It's like, oh, it's like, it's like, it's like, I just assume like every like Man City session, I'm like, oh, that's what every session in the UK is like. It's just exactly, exactly running that smoothly. So um, it's nice to hear that you guys have the same difficulties that we do uh, uh, here in the States. And, uh, one of those difficulties that, that we have, and one of the reasons why I really wanted to have yourself on, including with Saskia, because you guys deal a lot with this age group. And I think it's kind of, um, lost in a lot of times. And, and that's kind of like that U23, you know, 18 to 23 age group, which is kind of the, the young professional high level amateur trying to get ready for a young pro career. Um, so first off, maybe for like some of these people who might be listening right now, who might not be familiar with what we're referring to, to like a U23 goalkeeper, kind of what in your mind is like the profile of a U23 keeper? Me? Well, <laughs> whoever, want, whoever wants to, either one of you guys. Yeah. I think it's different for men and women. Um, I, well, it's starting 
to be a little similar, but I think, you know, as a U23 goalkeeper internationally for men, um, I think you're still looking at goalkeepers that could be playing in the, you know, in the Premier League. Um, and where, as for women, you're looking at more goalkeepers. Sorry, my dog's cracking me up. You're looking at more goalkeepers that aren't playing in college. So they have, you know, there isn't that pro outlet. They're not going, you know, the academies haven't been there. They're not moving up. They're not like 18 years old and, um, and going over and playing for Man U or, you know, Barcelona or something like that. And I think that with the women, it's, it's different. The, the, the process and the, the path is different. I think you find most female goalkeepers that want to go pro will go to college first to go pro. I mean, that's changing. No, absolutely. But it's not the same. Yeah, I I mean, obviously I can only speak about the the system over here in the UK, but uh, an under-23 goalkeeper in the UK is, um, so for instance, if you you were talking about a Premier League, a championship club, it would be um, goalkeepers, um, well, outfielders as well, between 16 and 18, they tend to sign uh, what's called a scholarship. Um, so they're going to a club full time. Then after that, they would be offered uh, a professional contract um, that can vary in length. But then they, they fall into that category age-wise of obviously 18s to to probably 21, 22. And in the UK, the the system is really that the from the bigger clubs, they're then a sort of um, the loaned out. So for instance, a Premier League goalkeeper will be loaned out to maybe uh, well you've even seen it with sort of Dean Henderson you know Dean Henderson I'm not sure what age he is but he probably falls within that age band but most of the the big clubs might have six to ten goalkeepers between 18 and 21 years of age and they try and obviously um, coach them but then they are really sent out on loan you see the likes of um, Jordan Pickford, um, obviously guys that I've worked with, uh, Kasper Schmeichel, Nick Pope. Um, they, they send them out on loan to the low, lower leagues to get some game time and then hopefully go back to the parent club. Um, obviously, you know, having played in front of a, a crowd, um, probably made a couple of mistakes, dealt with the mistakes. And and if they if the sent out on loan uh, in League 2, the following loan would probably be League One, with a view to eventually, here in the UK, the, the sort of the professional game. Very rare that you get lads making appearances really at the parent club, especially the big clubs, until hitting 25, 26, 27 now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's the way it, it tends to work in the UK. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It, so you like see the difference? I mean, like it's just you know, it's very different in the sense like you're not looking at. Um, Ashton Harris or um, let's say Casey Murphy or something coming up in the women's side and getting loaned out really they all went to college first they all played in college first to find that path into the national team and then and into pro well you know you know one thing I want to talk about is from the development standpoint because this is a really difficult age group I think a lot of times for people to gauge because a lot of people are kind of at at different stages, Andy, like, as you can say, some people are ready to be young professionals. Some are still clearly in that, in that apprentice level where they, they really still should be, you know, with, with the youth program and, st- and still developing. So how do we kind of balance 
that kind of, you know, that teaching with, you know, hey, you know, these kids need to start getting a competitive environment and start getting results. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to handle actually playing for the club. Well, it's actually um, in the UK, again, it depends on the length of the loan spell. So, for instance, if I was taking a young goalkeeper from uh, a parent club, really, you probably... Because each goalkeeper coach over here has probably slightly different techniques, slightly different um, attributes to the game that they they want. I would really probably be saying to the goalkeeper coach at his parent club, look, you know, am I okay tinkering with this? Am I can I change that? Can I add that? I think that's the way it sort of works over here. So just out of courtesy, really. And some coaches will say, no, just take him for a month. Um, other coaches will say. Yeah, no problem. Just try and add to his game. The main thing that they're getting is is, is match experience and um, and probably dealing with with um, with first team football, senior level football pressure, um, dealing with all the professionals, um, and obviously if they can cope with that, technically they're obviously going to still be improving and changing and growing. But um, I think that. Over here, they're definitely the sent out on loan to probably to make mistakes, really, and see how they deal with making mistakes. You know, we they don't come out and make many mistakes, but it's how they respond because it, it, obviously over here in the Premier League or a Championship, they don't like putting young goalkeepers in because they're pretty much unsure of how they will be. Um, so the, the system over here is you go out on loan, you go out on loan, you go out on loan, you keep working on your technical game. Um, and obviously physically, you know, physically guys are growing, filling out, getting in the gym, getting strength, conditioning. Um, so that, that age group, it, it really is a, it's a, it's a difficult one um, because they all want to play as well. They all want to play, but finding teams where they can play can be difficult. Well, but that's the most difficult thing I think for you at the collegiate level, Saskia, is that you've got essentially at a at a at a university like UCLA that's it's essentially, I would say in the United States on the women's side that that's the equivalent of of playing in the lower leagues and 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 being in a minor league professional system. Really, um, is that you have young women who have, for lack of a better term, they've always played. They've always been stars. Oh, yeah. They've always they've always been playing consistently. This is kind of the first time they've ever been in an environment where they've had to challenge for a spot and there's only so much time to give. So what do you need to focus on in these final years of, of development for these, these young women to either get them ready to play professionally or to get them ready even to play at UCLA? Well, I think the biggest thing I've noticed is speed of play. Um, you know, they're coming from, like you said, being the best, being the best in their region, being the best on our club team, so on and so forth. Um, but the speed of play is, I think, a bit of a shock for them. The power, the strength, um, you know, like Andy said, you know, getting like the, if you can physically look at the difference between a junior, senior, and a freshman, um, and you know, you get you can get the same height kind of the kid in, but the awkwardness that the body hasn't filled out the way using the physio coaches um, would have it like after four years, like it's it's amazing. The, the, this touch on the ball, the speed, and it's catching them up. It's understanding and seeing if they can handle it. You know, um, one of our keepers now, she's a great keeper, best keepers in the country, freshman coming in, but she's got it. She's struggling with the speed of play. 
seeing the ball, seeing the shots off the foot, seeing the quick, quick release and um, pure power of it. She'll get it. Um, but that's why you redshirt your freshman year. <laughs> a lot. That's why you redshirt. And, and actually with this COVID thing, not that it's a good thing, but with um, the fall season being suspended, imagine these kids coming in and they, they have two weeks to prove themselves and try to get on the field. And now they don't. And now they've got an entire season, fall season, with no games to train, to strength train, to get the, the pace down, to understand um, the competitive nature and level of practice every day. Um, and that's actually kind of an interesting gift because it'll be, it'll be kind of cool to see rolling in if we have a full spring season like we would have had in the fall to see how different, how different it is. Because, you know, to watch them learn that. But that, it, that is part of it for me is, is getting them used to that competitive nature, that professionalism, even at, at this, I mean, it's the number one team in the country. So even at, for college. And honestly, we could beat some, sorry, everybody, NWSL teams, I'll say it. Because you have to look at, I have my team as national team players from other countries, you know, so it's like, as well as our own. So we're competitive. And, um, but it, it's, that's the process. Yeah. That's you, know, the process. You, you brought up a really good point, Andy, and I actually wanted to talk to you about this because it makes, is that an issue right now in the UK as well too, with, with the whole COVID thing, are, are kids getting lost in the shuffle because, you know, you, you all have gone back to competitive play, right? Already at York? Yeah, it's uh, we we've gone back, um, and interestingly, we we've actually um, we've got a young goalkeeper uh, that we were looking to send out on loan ourselves, and um, we we were expecting it to go through. Um, it may still go through, but over here is um, being told that if he leaves us and goes on loan to another club, he then becomes part of their bubble. Yeah. Um. So he can't then come back to us and train with us. So we sort of have to weigh up well, although he's going to lose some training time with us, he's going to gain some game time. So, you know, I think that the game time at this moment is more important. Um, But yeah, it's definitely, it's making things more difficult. Um, And obviously every single game, regardless of what it is, you have COVID protocols to go through, um, which incurs expense, time, and uh, we're just in, we're pre-season now, so we're trying to get five, six games in, but the very, well, the game of the weekend, it was supposed to be um, against a, a local side the day before, that sold maybe, it's only a local side, sold maybe a thousand tickets, and uh day before, got um, put behind closed doors, um, so yeah, there's a lot of it's certainly going to make it more difficult for your 18s to 23s players to get out and actually get game time. Yeah. Yeah. And we have the same thing with, um, in technically in our bubble as well. I know there's some international players and stuff that can go and play and everything. I think that it's, um, that's the problem. Once you leave the bubble to come back to it, it's, there's a quarantine, there's this, there's that, there's the other. And so, you know, you have to gauge, what it's a little different in college, but we have to deal with the same thing. Absolutely. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, one thing that I think uh, was was really interesting in regards to one trend that we're seeing, and Andy, I know we spoke about this earlier, and Saskia, obviously, it, it's a very common thing on the women's game for, for women to come over from Europe and, and play in the American universities. But but now, more and more, you're starting to see, Andy, you know, players from who, who, who are in the UK either coming through an, a professional academy um, or they've been playing high-level amateur, and, and they've chosen – to, to go and attend an American university before trying to attempt a professional career again. Um, how is that, how's that looked upon over there in the UK? And do you think that this is a good decision uh, for a goalkeeper? Not, not as much a, a field player, but a goalkeeper that needs all those, those matches anyway. Well, I actually want to sort of, uh, although I'm full-time at York, I also work in, in a college system in the UK and, um, so they would, for instance, in the UK, if you didn't get taken on uh, or offered um, a scholarship at a professional club, the route then for some guys is to go to, to what we call college to get education and study and also take part in the, in the football um, college football team. And we are seeing, certainly from the, from the college point of view, more and more companies and um, several guys actually going out to the USA um, to study and obviously um, John universities out there. Um, me personally, I think it's an absolutely fantastic experience for them. Um, hopefully, you know, they'll, um, they'll come back and they'll, they'll get a chance in professional football. But I mean, I don't actually know too much about it, but I know little bits is that, you know, York City, for instance, we we're probably getting crowds on average of two to three thousand. Now I, mm-hmm. I'm told that in the in the in the university sort of system in America, they're getting enormous crowds. Yeah, you know, training in fantastic facilities. So the facilities in the UK, uh, sorry, in the USA, I'm sure are a lot better than a lot over here. And like I said, you know, you you're playing in front of massive, massive crowds. You're getting great coaching, good education, and um, if ever I've been asked about it, I've said, look, go experience it. It'll be amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, that, it, absolutely. Absolutely. For that reason, we've talked to the girls about that. You know, like UCLA, we, we sell out our stadium every game, you know, and, and to have that experience under your belt, even for a woman and the men and everything and the education and the facilities are ridiculous. Like I'm, I, I played pro, <laughs> everything better than anything I've ever seen. You know, it's yeah. like, oh my gosh. Um, and when when COVID's not around, I've got like two assistants myself. <laughs> like I don't touch, like I don't shag a ball, touch a ball. I tell them how I need my system set up for the practice, and it's all set up and everything. It's it's yeah, amazing. You know, what you don't what you don't know, Andy, is is actually. <laughs> Saskia's just a hologram at UCLA. Like, she doesn't even have to go there. I know, somebody else does it for me. <laughs> but basically. I'm sure it's a lot more professional over here. Yeah. And I agree with you, Annie. And, and you have to, you can't skirt the education. Number one, like, if, listen, let's be honest, like, if you're not scratching the, at the bit for maybe being a full-time pro, and making a living out of it and stuff like that. If you can get a massive education and play football at the same time, then you should do it. Um, because now there's only, it's less than 1% that are going to, yeah. you know, be banking on this. So it's a good opportunity as well. 
Um, yeah. Andy, what I want to do right now is I want to bring up one of your sessions here. Oh, uh, I love yeah. That. Yep. We're going to bring up uh, one of your sessions right here. I like and his lamps. I know. Oh, his place That's is so fancy. It's like, I'm like, look how fancy your place is. It's so nice. <laughs> All right. So, Andy, this, so this is a session you did in 2017, it looks like. Um, that young man right there looks like he's a tall, tall young lad right there. Uh, clearly, he's uh, caressing a mannequin. That's what you do with you 23 goalkeepers is uh, you have them just stand behind mannequins. Um, um, but uh, I want you kind of just to kind of walk us through. We're just going to watch a little bit of just the movement and everything because we were, Saskia, you were talking about that kind of that awkwardness still, right? So yeah. as you can see, these are not fully grown men yet. Yeah, I find that awkwardness. I don't want to interrupt the session, but like when I take Kelly, I can talk about them. If I take Kelly right now, McManus and Kelly still got a little bit of that awkwardness in her. She's a freshman. She's 17 years old. You know, she's, and then when you look at how, how Lauren has grown into like her muscle, into her, into her body, into her fitness, how she holds herself, her strength. And even um, Idalia and, and even like my other goalkeepers, are, they're just a different way of holding yourself as you grow into your body. There's still an awkwardness. Yeah. By the way, well, I use mannequins today. That, <laughs> oh, that, congratulations. That tall guy, that tall guy there in that picture. Yeah. He will be 17, 16. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah, he's yeah. 17 actually. Yeah, he's 17. He, he's a, he's a he there will be so he's still at the club now. He's 6 foot 7. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Um, twenty, just gone twenty. Yes, yeah. so that it'd be seventeen there, uh, sixteen, seventeen. How about this guy? Yeah, so this guy here, this guy was released. So these guys um, were in at the club um, when I joined, actually, and um, he's been released. But they're both similar age. They're both the same age. They're both seventeen. So these would have been first year scholars. And the guy that was that's in the goal there now, he was at the club um, for a short period of time. Um, he didn't uh, stay at the club too much, but the young tall guy is still at the football club now. And if you if you look at him now, like you're saying that there's a huge difference. Huge difference. I love that I know what you're teaching right now <laughs> without the sound. Uh, yeah, what will that I be? know what you're talking. They're moving across was, the goal. I think make this, it. Go this ahead. was just a. Um, I think this was for for the, for the media department. You know, they just said, "Look, can we come up and take a little bit of a session?" So. Um, yeah, probably dealing with a cut back, mobility across your goal. Yeah. Oh, here you go. And I hear you're explaining you're explaining what it's all about. <laughs> if, I, if I put the volume on there. Right, I'm not sure. I love that you're cracking out. <laughs> um, sorry, guys. I, I couldn't, no, I couldn't I resist. So, so Andy, Andy was like, I can't find any sessions. Sorry, I've just got, I, just, I just got off the field. I'm like, oh, don't worry. I'll find some sessions. I'll find them. Uh, <laughs> We're not at the level over here where we where we film our sessions. We, we York City. We're not at that level. At the top level, obviously, those guys do do that. But at the level that we're at, we we're not in a position to to be able to do that. It would be nice to do that, but um, again, like yeah. UCLA, they have a guy come out and film our sessions. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I never had that with like. Yeah. I never had that playing pro. I never had that like you know. I can tell this one uh, one tech guy like what things I need pulled, and then I can go into the media room and all the clips I needed are pulled and ready to load and go. I'm like, this is amazing. But but to be honest with you, that that's actually a really 
interesting thing that you pointed that out, Saskia, because here in the United States, Andy, at least, a lot of a lot of kids when they come out of the university system like that, and they've been in that environment, and then they go into lower leagues. It's like a sh- it's a shock to them. I, like, that's it's that reverse. Wait, Absolutely. what? We're share. Wait, wait, we're sharing a dressing room. Who? What? What is going on here? They're like, how come I don't have sparkling water? I asked for sparkling water. And I should <laughs> have sparkling bad. water it's with cucumber bad. right now. It's not that yeah. bad, All right. No, but you're right. And I've heard that from even girls that have gone into the NWSL from um, schools and stuff like that, where the facilities, the practice facilities, the, the like the staff, the training staff, accessibility to, to rehab, everything has just been not to the level that they were used to at major universities and colleges because those major universities and colleges are richer than their their pro club so you know and the facilities are better than anything you're going to get um at your pro club and that's a shock as well absolutely i want to i want to bring this up right here uh andy first off one thing i love about the whole loan system that you all have in 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 europe primarily and, and, and there's a little bit of a loan system coming on here now in the united states is that it humbles a lot of these kids who are superstars coming out of big clubs and their, their academies and everything, and they've had everything kind of, you know, like Saskia's talking about, you know, everything's very high level, you know, a lot of money put into it. And then they're going to an environment where they kind of have to either fend for themselves or, um, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, they don't have the resources that they're used to. Um, is that kind of like a sink or swim type of moment for you a lot of times where you kind of see the kids that are kind of cut out to be professionals and are actually w- willing to handle it? 100%. Yeah, 100%. You, you know, the, uh, you, you do get some kids that come in and like said, where's my kit? Where's this? Where's that? Yeah. And the, those, those kids in my experience are the ones that have probably been spoiled. Um, and they've gone on to struggle um, or they haven't, uh, they've, they've slipped down the levels, they expect certain things. You know, that a lot of the guys that, uh, you know, we've took on loan and, uh, one of the, you know, I would would talk about would be Nick Pope, who as you know was was in a college system, was in a pro club system, got released at sixteen, got back into a pro club, came on loan to was at York, really bought into everything. You know, he was living in a bed and breakfast, which is you know just like a small local house. Stayed up every day, um, you know, just nothing was a problem with him. Went back, has gone on to, but one of the biggest things is just adapting to the environment they're, that they're in. And some guys do turn up in a nice big car, expect everything, and then soon they join the train. The, the train, exactly the same as everyone else. And, and you know, that if they show any type of attitude, they're soon brought down and... Um, yeah, it's like I said, it's a bit like a sink or swim. And some managers yeah. even send the players out to 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 just say, look, let's to see how we handle them. And, and to humble oh. them. No, yeah, yeah when, when I went and played pro in Japan, like watching the way other internationals adapted to such an – that's kind of a more extreme. It would be much easier for me to go to England. <laughs> like, But it was how you adapted and how you – like it humbled you and not being, I don't mean to be callous, but not to be that brat. That's like, Oh, I only eat Tito's and cornflakes. You know what I mean? Like, like, what is this? What is that? Like, you don't want to be that, you know, that problem. And that's why, you know, some people are only there one year just saying, 
Um, but I think that I would send, we've talked about this on the show before, where if you get that chance, go, go travel, experience, experience football in other countries under, under different situations, put yourself, put your, and if you have the backbone and the ability to do it, you'll only grow as a leader on the field, um, with people will respect you and, um, you know, you can go make a debacle of it. But you can also go and really have some humility and realize, you you know, there's thousands and thousands of players out there just like you and just you got to put your time in. Yeah, you know, one, one, of the, one of the situations that we're having in the United States here, Andy, um, and I don't know if you're familiar with this, but obviously with the MLS academies now, a lot of the kids are signing homegrown deals. And before, it used to be university. Everyone would go to university. And then, you know, the, the, best, the best players in the university would usually end up trickling into the professional system. A lot of kids are now bypassing the university, and they're going straight to the pro. The problem is, is that because they've come through their academy system and then gone to the reserves – once they get to the first team environment, they've never played in front of 35,000 people. Like they've never been in, in, in that before because on the, on the reserve teams, there's parents in the crowd, you know, some friends, you know, at a training field, you know? And um, that's why I just think it's so important that there's clubs such as, you know, and, and not saying this in a derogatory way, that there's lower league clubs in Europe that allow people yeah. to play because your fans actually care about York city. It's like, like, you know, no disrespect to LA Galaxy 2, but, like, there's no LA Galaxy 2 supporters. Like, they're just Galaxy supporters who might walk by the training facility and watch a Galaxy 2 match, you know? But, like, there's fans of York. Like, they've grown up being York supporters. It's dealing with the, the, the responsibility that, you know, you, once you're in men's football, you obviously have the crowd, you have fellow professionals, you know, and the, at the level that we're at, you know, Fellow professionals need to win to bring the salary in to get an extra bonus. So there's a lot more pressure than in the under 23s football, where, like you're saying, there's 150 people, there's no pressure on the game. So in the UK, we see a lot of guys that haven't gone out on loan and they get released um, age sort of 21, 22, 23 on maybe, I don't know, 150,000 UK pounds a year. They come to somewhere like York and they've never played in front of a, a big crowd or re even 5,000. Um, and they want a huge salary level and we might say, look, you know, the best we can offer is 50,000. And um, and you see that they, 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 they almost think that you're... Um, you're not serious, you know, but the, it's the going out in the environment, the system really, really works, especially with goalkeepers over here, I think. It's, it's fantastic because, like I said, you, you see guys go out, play at League Two, play 30, 40 games, then go and play at League One, 30, 40 games, then go and play Championship, 30, 40 games. And then by the time the 22, 23, they might have played 150 games, bigger crowds, bigger pressure, and then clubs... Uh, almost have a goalkeeper that's ready to play in their first team when they're hitting 25, 26, 27. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's what they tend to do over. And it, and it does really work. Like I said, there's several that it's it's worked where some guys don't want to go out and play. They just want to sit in the 23s and pick the wage salary up. But if you, I think if you've got an ambition, um, you need to go out and play games and 
and experience it. Absolutely. Such, I mean, said so well. I, I first off, I, I love that type of a system, you know. And I know we're trying to develop that here in the United States, and and obviously on, on the women's side, the the academies are a little bit more burgeoning on the on the NWSL side. But um, I want to now kind of focus now on on the coaching aspect, Saskia, and I want to kind of talk about some of the mistakes that I've seen, you know, with, with this age group, like uh, what are some of the mistakes that you've seen coaches making with this age group? Cause personally, like one I've seen is either they've, they've been like, Oh, they already know everything. So I don't need to teach anything. They're already adults or still treating them like they're 14, 15 years old and micromanaging everything. On the women's side, I, I, I can only speak to what I've seen, like, even though I know the men's side and stuff, but it's that, it's the same thing. You're going to get a freshman, you're going to look to recruit a freshman who's going to walk in here and start for for this age group. And I think that, or like a young 17 or 18-year-old. Um, I think those days are gone when you throw that that person in the mix. And, um, and back when I was playing, that was it. You know, Bri and myself um you know you came in we were you know we were pups and stuff and you're playing a national team international you were thrown in the mix boom you know like friendlies figure it out figure it out figure it out and um you know that's just because of the nature of the way the sport was in not having pro leagues and not having those outlets and i think that now i think you'll see more that people are, are taking that pause and you need to, you need to take that pause and give those people time to train the same as baseball going into the minor leagues going, you know, and everything like that. And, and developing those players to play at the level that, you know, that we're, we're coaching at and stuff. It's being patient. And when you find coaches that can't do that, that haven't organized themselves well enough to do that, you know, um, that's where you find the fault in everything. It's not like, oh, this is my senior. She's going to play off, for, you know, she's going to play through her senior year. This is my starter. And when she retires, oh, no. <laughs> now, now, when she graduates, oh, no, now I got to figure it out. You know, you have, to, you have to get those other players games. By the way, I think someone's trying to park in your, in your, in your building right truck. now. <laughs> um, I hope it might be Western Exterminator. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I think anybody can agree with that. You have to get those players games. You have to get your number two, your number three games, period. And I even fell under that cost. I was, I was, I was capped for, not capped, I was rostered for over 200 national team games in my career. And I played like 40, <laughs> like, you know? And even Nair went through that, where she just sat and sat and sat. And that's a mistake. And it's a mistake on the net. And we talked about that when the NWSL had their tournament. We talked about that when the MLS had their tournament. Like, what what is the importance here? Like, is it to win this little COVID tournament? Or is it to actually get some players, some playing time against some serious opponents yeah. and sub those goalkeepers in? Yeah. Andy, would you say that's one of the main mistakes that you've seen when, when people are working with that age group is that they're – they're not getting them games. Yeah, I think um, at that age group, it's massive to get out and play. Um, and that would be as, as important as what you're doing on the grass is that you're making phone calls, you're trying to get game time. If you haven't got a, a side within your own football club where goalkeepers are going to play, <coughs> you have them out. Or you have to try and get them out and obviously go and play in games. They're going to learn. 
like I said, all the other aspects that you you can't show them on the training pitch. Obviously, technically, they should at that time of age they should be they should be uh, competent. Um, but game scenario, game situations, um, like I said, I think they say don't let the game be the teacher. But you can only do that if you play. So um, if at all possible, um, once our goalkeepers are hitting eighteen, nineteen, you're uh, you, you're saying look. Let's let's get you out and get some games. Um, that's vitally important, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, we, even, so I'll tell you, you this: before the World Cup, '99 World Cup, myself and Lori Ferrer got sent to Mexico to play with the under twenties to get extra games in, like right before the World Cup, because I, we hadn't been pla- I hadn't been playing, and I think whether it was a fault or whether it was something that Tony realized late, like, damn it, you know. Saskia didn't play as much as she should have. Like, I should have played her. All right, you know, we're going to send you down to get extra games and stuff. I mean, I was 28. That's <laughs> kind of funny. But, um, Wait, how did, they, how did they do that? It, had to, it couldn't have been like a FIFA <laughs> license my, tournament. Jill was my coach, too. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, that was funny. Um, but it was still just like get, like two guest players. But it was still the same point, like, that you can't wait till last minute. You can't. What, so what on the tactical side, Andy, should we focus on at this age group? Because um, you were talking about obviously letting the game be the teacher um, at this age group. And I know a lot of people who, I, who I've talked to in the college game and the university game are, are working with the reserve sides here in the United States. Um, they discuss just how much it's all about, you know, in possession, out of possession, flank service. It's just so, so, so critical um, at that age. Would you agree? When players go out on loan, this sort of over here in the UK, the, the massive side of the game that is improving is the distribution. Uh, everyone sees Edison and the guys in the, the top level Premier League trying to, uh, you know, play out from the back as much as possible. Um, so, you, I think you can only do that if you if you're at a football club where you have the players to be able to do that, and also that the manager, if that's the style of play. Um, that he wants. Um, so, you know, that, that is a current trend. Um, but tactically, yeah, I think, like I said, he, he, different managers will want different things um, as to how they set up as a team. Um, like I said, one, one manager might want his goalkeeper playing really high in behind a, a, a high backline sweeper keeper, as we call it over here. Another manager might be slightly different. So I think the more, probably the more different styles of, of football you can expose them to, um, the more they should um, gain more tactical awareness. Um, obviously, game understanding as well. You know what happens during times in in games, how to deal with pressure, how to talk to your back four, things like that. But um, I think yeah, that that just comes with um, game time, and then also. If we've got goalkeepers out uh, on loan, you've then got to get the footage, you sit down, you go through the footage with them, how you think they dealt with things. I think one of the biggest part of the jobs now um, is actually dealing with the mental side of trying to make sure that your goalkeeper is feeling confident um, and uh, managing the way they feel before they go on to the football pitch. Um, almost like a psychologist. Um, you know, it's not just about hitting balls at goalkeepers, is it? I think the biggest, massive, massive part, again, in, in America may be different, but 
sort of managing the mental side of football is becoming more and more prevalent here in the UK. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's, and from a goalkeeper's point of view, it's it's absolutely vital, isn't it? And um, you know, you can work with again with some managers that um, that can be a little bit outdated when it comes to goalkeepers. You know, you stand in goal and you keep the thing out the net. Um, and <laughs> the more modern managers are um, obviously understand the way they speak to their players, the way they speak to their goalkeeper will ultimately help them get a, a good performance. So um, that's interesting and that's changing as time goes on. You know, we've talked about this a lot on the show, like everybody's different. All the goalkeepers are different and the mental side of it is huge. I have some goalkeepers that handle things fine. You know, they put their head down, they brush things off and, you know, they train. I have other ones that get very, like, have like breakdowns. I like, you have to be able to handle everything and be able to kind of, um, you can't treat everybody the same. You can't say, Hey, just get in the goal and keep the ball and that and deal with it. You know, it's, it's not that cut and dry. It's not that it's not. Well, I think especially with this age group, because I'll be honest with you, one of the biggest mistakes I've made when I'm working with U23s is I've, I've talked to them like they're my age, you know, and that was a big mistake that I made when I was a younger coach because I wasn't that many years removed from them. So I talked to them like they're 28, 29, but their brain is, their brain's not there yet. It's still not, still not fully developed. And I'm not realizing that yet they might look like a man, but, there's still a little bit of boy boy there too. And they might be taking things a little bit. I might think that I know what I'm saying to them or that it's not that serious, but in their mind, they're taking it um, a, a little bit, a little bit too much in. Um, and, and that I think is a, is a, is a difficult uh, situation for a lot of coaches who started. And Saskia, I want to ask you this because, you know, here in the United States, I know, I know I keep bringing that up, but I like to see the contrast Andy between here, here in the UK. Um, a lot of people start yep. out in the youth game and they move from the youth game and the transition from the youth game into the older game. And one of those stepping stone positions, a lot of times for a youth coach is college. Um, and Saskia, I know you've seen this. You've seen a lot of youth coaches who they can't make that transition to college because uh, they don't necessarily know how to connect with that age group. You know, they, they know how to work with a nine or 10 year old, um, but you know, talking to a 19, 20 year old who's already got opinions and a point of view and all that is very difficult. So what, what advice do you give coaches that are kind of making that transition? Well, I was kind of the opposite, which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> um, um I was like, Oh my God, somebody take these kids. Um, no, I think that number one, you always have to establish, um, who, who the authority is. Um, and uh, I think we were talking to the men's national team coach and I felt that um, I don't think it's eye to eye and I don't think how, I, I don't think how much um, experience, let's say I would, let's say I would be brought in as national team, the goalkeeper coach for the national team. And regardless of, you know, now having a world championship under a belt and experience and stuff like that, I still have to establish myself as the coach. I'm not your peer. Um, I am your coach. I, you know, yes, you have a world championship. So do I, we have, we're not going to go tip the tat on things. Experience is experience. And I have more of it because I've been around longer. 
And it's not an arrogance and it's, you know, but it is something where that, that separation has to exist um, and that respect has to exist so that when you do need to tell um, a player when they're coming of age and at that age something, they listen. Because um, if you're their buddy and their best friend, they're going to they're gonna tune you out sometimes. And I don't think that's not your job. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The, the, um, the, so that age group is, we know where the, we know where the, the line is, but they don't seem to. So I think yeah. you, you have to, um, or, or some don't. So you have to establish that, yeah, that the coach and the, although you are close to them, but you're their coach. And um, I think you, um, yeah, the, once they understand that. And I think what, what I think works quite well is that um, if, if, you, if you work on something on the training pitch and then it, it actually happens in a game, whether it be a mistake or whether it be a save, um, I think the light bulb moment almost comes on, you know, oh, yeah, we worked on that, you know, a few weeks back. That's just happened. And that can be both good and bad in terms of you, you can make a mistake and then you can go through it. And then the next time you can analyse it together, the next time that happens, hopefully they'll deal with it differently the light bulb comes on and then almost you get the instant sort of trust because as I said, I mean, I try and, I try and ever avoid back and sort of saying to the guys, look, when I played, you know, because I'm old enough to be some of the, you know, the dads, so that they don't, <laughs> they can't relate to me in that sense. Um, although they, they know how I played, but, you know, so that doesn't really, uh, that doesn't um, sometimes come across. So I think you have to establish those boundaries. Yeah. I'm, here, I'm here to improve you. Um, and if, if you listen and you work hard, you will definitely improve. And, uh, and I just, most of the time, I will say, look, it's your choice. You can do it your way. And um, maybe that won't be the best way. Or we can work together and try and do it my way. And I think my way will improve you. And if you want to improve, um, hopefully that's the... Yeah. That's the choice they'll make because, uh, yeah, the, the, there has been a couple that have decided that you want to try and give them advice, you want to try and improve them, they don't want to improve, and ultimately they tend to go out the door, you know, yeah. and um, it really depends on their attitude towards learning, I think. And I think all players, players that are listening to this and stuff like that, some of you might roll your eyes and everything like that, but the truth of the matter is, is that you, you think you know what you're doing wrong or what's going on, and you don't. And um, you might have an idea, but there's a lot more technically to it um, and a lot more that your coach can help you with. And, you know, and even you said, like, when they asked you to coach, you're like, I've never coached before, you know, and it's a different, it's a different perspective. It's a different way of looking at the game than through yourself and through playing. And that's, that's why coaches do what they are and they're successful. We see things differently and you have to be open to understand that. So yes, you might be having a problem getting across your box and dealing with like a slotted ball or something. And you might think it's one thing, but we might see five other technical things that it is that can be approved it on to make it easier for you. And if you're not open to hearing that because you're at a certain age and your coach is maybe a younger coach and you're like, you know, then you're going to be out the door. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's something I honestly, I straight up experienced it. And also being a smaller goalkeeper, 
you know, uh, I've had some prima donnas who just, you know, immediately out of the door, like, I'm more athletic than you. I'm taller than you. Like, why am I listening to this guy who's like three years older than me type of a thing? And I think sometimes, though, I think we have to have a little bit of an empathy and realize, like, what was I, what was I like when I was 19, 20? Because I was a jackass. Uh, I don't know about you guys, guys, but I was a jackass. And I honestly did think that I was better, a better goalkeeper than my goalkeeper coach. Never thought that. I I look at who my coaches were. I know your coaches were next level. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Your your coaches were next level. I still don't think I'm better than them. So it's fine. (laughs) You're next level. And I'm also extremely (laughs) delusional. So uh, there, there was was that. So I think you need to halt, honestly, uh, sometimes kind of honestly put yourself in, in your their shoes. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of coaches make as well too, is they don't put themselves back in, in those shows. And even at the youth level, like I remember that's something that I've been talking about recently is like, I've been trying as much as possible to put myself in being a 10 year old again. And what's it like to have your first session with a goalkeeper coach at 10 years old and you've never met this guy before and, and how would I react and all, all of that stuff. Cause I think a lot of times, you know, you know, we, we forbid it about that kind of stuff but i think um, that's part of the mental side of it that you're talking about like if i look at yeah. the if i look at the keepers at ucla and stuff like that like i have to take into account like what was i like was i a deer in headlights coming in my freshman year you know and it's we're only two weeks in you know and you know calm down it's okay we're gonna work on it, it you don't have to fix everything at once you know bit by bit step by step because there's that anxiety that this it's everybody's so elite everybody's working so hard everybody's so on point i gotta get there i gotta be there i gotta get there and it's like slow down well do you have andy do you have that like you have like a, for instance 20 year old at, at york city and like he looks at himself uh, you know and compares himself to a 32 year old veteran and goes like why am i not doing that what's wrong with me that i'm not there you know and do you have to kind of kind of take them aside and, and explain to them the journey and 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 really make it sink in that like it's not an overnight process because again, coming from the youth game, like they were always playing. They were it's always at their satisfaction. Level. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Obviously everyone wants to be the best goalkeeper they can be right now. And, um, you know, that, that just doesn't happen. Like I said, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, you learn from mistakes and when, um, you know, m- mistakes happen, in games, in senior level games and professional games, um, I sort of say to the guys, look, that's fine. You know, I, I know you didn't intentionally make that mistake. Let's work on it on the training ground. And then hopefully if that same situation occurs again, you'll deal with that differently. You know, and that certainly happens more when you're working with younger goalkeepers and younger goalkeepers in your team because they are more likely to make mistakes um, or make bad decisions and they also are more likely to probably suffer a little bit mentally from those um, mistakes so that's where I think the psychologist side look it's okay to make a mistake you're, you're, you're young you're learning I'm not expecting you to be the finished article goalkeeper at 21 years old exactly I think that's what the I think that's your role as a coach some coaches don't, you know, I look back at some coaches that I work with and, um, you know, a couple of the guys worked at a very high level, England level, and, you know, looking back, they weren't coaches. They just ordered you what yeah. to do. And if you didn't do it, you got shouted at, you know, and 
um, those type of guys, like I said, the the time, I, yes, I'll do it. But looking back now, you take the bits that you, even as a coach, you think, right, I'm not going to work like that. I'm going to work differently than that. Um, coach over here that I think is fantastic. He might have been on the podcast. guy called Eric Steele, I'm sure you're aware of Eric. He's, yeah. Um, Eric was coaching me when I was 21. Again, one of those coaches that would go to one club on a morning, one club the next morning, the next one. And Eric has worked with the very, very best goalkeepers in the world. And if ever you see him, he's, he's put a session on. It's simple, it's modern, but his, his manner is absolutely fantastic. And I can imagine him being brilliant right across every age group and every ability from Edwin van der Zaar to a seven-year-old boy that's just turned up for a coaching camp, you know? Yeah. So, nope. um, yeah, you've got to have all skill sets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing that was brought up last week on the show um, with uh, the Real Salt Lake uh, goalkeeper coach, and he said, a lot of times people will say, oh, well, you have to do these sessions with 19-year-olds and these sessions are for 14-year-olds and these sessions are for nine-year-olds or whatever. And he brought up something really interesting to me that, that I had never really thought about. He's like, he's like, you can do the same session with every age group. It's about what are your expectations of the goalkeeper? That's what changes. That's what adjusts based on the age group. So the session X's and O's wise, which I think personally, and I've started to learn is like, we focus way too much on the X's and O's and the structure of the session, rather than why we're doing the session. You know, we focus on the how to do the session, you know, and then we don't, and then we're like, well, wait a second, what did we get out of the session other than they, they went through cones? Cool. Well, because I followed this session plan, but I, why did I even run this session? You know, so it, it started making me think like, oh my gosh, do we overcomplicate it, Suskio, with with these older ages and think like we have to put more bells and whistles because they're older, because they're, they're more high level, yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, and I, we talked about that last week that I, even for myself thought coming in, like, <laughs> do I have to have like some epic structure, like practice, like with giant blow up dummies and like <laughs> crap like that. That's why I was joking. I was like, Hey, I use, I use one of those, little steel men today. Um, and the truth of the matter is know your stuff and know what you need out of your goalkeepers, know what they have to work on, have confidence in that and structure your practice accordingly. And sometimes that's no cones. And sometimes it's a couple cones to, you know, facilitate some footwork um, and everything, but get out of your keepers, what you need to get out of them to, to train them and teach them. And there's a, it's, do I ever, there is a point of maintenance with goalkeepers, you know, like uh, if you're, if you're coaching a De Gea, which, you know, maybe he could use some coaching, but if you're coaching De Gea and stuff like that, then maybe there is a certain amount of maintenance. Maybe there is a certain amount of structuring your, your uh, session kind of to include what he needs to focus on and stuff, but kind of, you know, for just to get some confidence back. But at 20, 18, but at the age group we're talking about, no, you can still teach them. And there's still stuff they have to learn. And there's still, whether it's their footwork or balance or how they're dealing with situations and stuff, you've got to structure your sessions. And they don't, like I said, it doesn't have to be these epic sessions. I mean, I, I see them. I see the sessions on, like, on YouTube or whatever, and it's like, 
I'm like, I don't even know how to set up battery cones and there's sticks in the ground and there's everything and people are going under things and over things and everything. And I was just like, oh my God, just get to the point and make the save. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I am a massive, massive believer in just keeping it simple. Yeah. You know, when you're playing a game, the ball moved from position X to position Y and you're, you move in relation to the ball. Yes, you deal with your back foot, you talk to your defence, but the ball moves from one place to another place and you take a different position up. That's, and when I see all these sessions, listen to every now and then, you put a little bit of a fun session on a warm, something like that. But when you're seeing, like, like Saskia says, you know, jump over this, do that, do the other, do the other, <laughs> that doesn't ever, ever, ever happen in a game. <laughs> so the ball moves from position Y to position X and you move in relation to the ball to try and keep the thing out the net. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the, some sessions are, are, are just YouTube sessions, you know, yeah. but uh, the, the reality is, I mean, I listened to uh, one that uh, Franz Hoke did uh, and it was fan absolutely fantastic podcast and he was talking about working with your back four and um, in reality, in over here in the UK, you might get to work with your back four once a month. Over here, we have um, a... Uh, a first team manager, a first team coach, a reserve team coach, and to get the team off them is very, very, very rare. And I hundred percent agree that that is the best way. Yeah. In my opinion, the coach is coaching with the team and match specific. But the actual reality, does that ever happen? Is in the UK, it's literally in fifteen years of coaching, I might have been given the team five times. I might have asked for the team a lot more, but actually given the team um, maybe five times. But I think, you know, like I said, listen to France, I was like, that's 100% agree. You know, it's the one thing, it's one thing I, me and Amanda, I absolutely love at UCLA. I love the, the way, but we obviously grew under in the same tutelage and everything with the U.S. team. And, you know, I have the goalkeepers for a bit and then, they are always with the team every single day, you know, and um, at some point, at some point in the session and being used and utilized and whether it's in simple situations or whether it's small sided games or whatever it is. And I love that. It's not just, Hey, you know, you guys are over there. We don't need you today. <laughs> like, what the hell is that? What do you mean? You don't need us today. It's soccer. You use a goalkeeper, you know? And so the fact that the goalkeepers are using, and I think sometimes the goalkeepers don't get that. Like, I think that's, now you're doing like, now you're seeing what game speed and the way it should be. Not, not me out there dropping a couple bombs in and you like making some really pretty steps and going up and catching a ball and, and so on and getting a shot afterwards. Now you're in the mix and that's how, that's how you get better. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think, I think that's one of the problems, Andy, is like once they get, once goalkeepers get to you at the first team, you know, who are a 20 year old or whatever, and now they're competing against veterans of 32. And if they've been in a, in a, in a um, kind of a artificial environment like that for so long, let's say they came on loan from another club to you, they've been in that type of an environment. Now they're you and you're like, okay, well, yeah, you need, you, you need to play the game now. And they're like, well, I, I, what do you mean? Like, I've never played with these guys before. It's like, well, you should understand scenarios and you should do all that. So it makes your job a, a little bit more difficult. Um, as we kind of start wrapping up right here, you know, um, I think one of the things, Andy, first off, in regards to getting that back for all you have to do is, uh, you know, 
work with the Netherlands national team, work with Man U, work with Bayern Munich and Barcelona. And I think, you, I think they'd be happy to give you the players. Uh, that's, that's all you got to do right there. Um, it's always so funny because when we had Franz on. Yeah, it's oh, unbelievable. I've sessions and I know Saskia's worked with him. I don't know if you have my own, but uh, I watched some of the YouTube sessions and the way he's, he's just fully in control is awesome to watch. But actually, for, for here in the UK, like I said, if I was to say at the first team on the job, Gaffer, can I have the first 11 and I'm going to put an 11 against them? He'd look at me as if, <laughs> don't be silly, you still over in the corner and coach the goalkeepers. You know, that's the way, that, unfortunately, the attitude, obviously, like you said, you're talking about one of the best coaches in the world there. Um so, but to, but to get that opportunity to do that is very, very rare here. But uh, one day, maybe one day. But I think well, we've talked. But we've talked about even with multiple coaches on this, and even with Franz on this, that that is that is a huge problem, and it's the fact that no, your goalkeeper coach should be slash assistant coach should be involved in let's see free, um, you know free kicks like whatever you're going over anything like they should be involved in it helping organize the defense helping explain to the keepers how things should be going like they're not just you know kicking some volleys while like one of the keepers is in with the team going through that like no that is like what do we do 90 percent of the time distribute yeah <laughs> distribution like it's you know and communication we're not we're not diving into the upper 90 percent of the time hopefully so, so I, think that, you know. I think that really comes from the manager as well, though, doesn't it? it, it you know, he was saying obviously about uh, I think it was Edwin uh, uh, Louis van Hal. He sort of said, "Look, you do it, or you come on board," yeah. and and that really is, you know, depending on the attitude of the manager and the attitude of the manager towards the goalkeeping department, the goalkeeping coach, and the goalkeepers, and almost the trust. And obviously, he had ultimate. Uh, Louis van Gaal obviously had ultimate trust in in France, and um, yeah, that that po- that that um, that podcast was brilliant. Listening to the stats and things like that, it was really interesting. And like I said, I, you listen to that and you go away and think, I've got to get involved more on this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then I've, the never seen, day, I've never seen Mike and Omar so quiet in my life. We're all just sitting here like this. Oh, yeah. I was like, he killed Omar a few times on that one. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it was just like the education. I think it ran two hours and like, we just, I think I said like five words. I was like writing stuff down. Fantastic. I was like, okay, okay. Absolutely brilliant. You could just listen but, to him all day. I mean, my my, fa- my favorite thing though was is that um, when he did the breakdown of uh, Ederson, and then he had us uh, you know give our notes back, and he literally shot down our notes, and he's like, "I said I I, I can't give you notes. I'm sorry." And no, he goes, "That's the right did. answer." <laughs> and he goes, "That's the right answer. Have the have the humility to know that if you don't know the answer, you can say it out loud." And I was like, "See." <laughs> like, oh my! Fa- my favorite yeah, was like when when when. <laughs> it was so funny when Omar was like. Ederson's literally, it's like the Ederson's willing the ball. He's like literally dictating everything that happens in the game. And then Franz like, oh, okay. Um, all right. Well, let's look back at that again. All right. So <laughs> let me show you this and this and this. And then Omar's like, oh, oh, yeah. I completely it's amazing, missed all right? of it. But it's amazing. Oh my God. It's that, but that's that next level. That's that next level. And that's, yeah. 
as Phil Wedden always says, who's obviously been on the show numerous times, is like, you know, they're always learning and like Peter Meller always learning and stuff. And even Franz says, you know, it's like, it's, he's always learning. Like his new book is like, he's like, I'm going against everything I wrote before. And like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm doing a thing. And, and, and I'll give a quick story because I, I know everyone's got to get out of here. But I'm, I had the fortune of, uh, of, of, of being involved. Uh, Franz came to my club, my youth club, uh, back in O. Eight, I think it was, or 07, where I was the goalkeeping director. And, uh, and you know, I'm the, I'm the director of goalkeeping. I'm a big deal. It's a big club. <laughs> We've won four national championships and everything. What's your like title? <laughs> and, and literally, so I start running my session. And, and Franz's like, all right, when, where, what, uh, it's like, it's like where, where are the players? I said, oh, well, we're just actually doing this. He's like, so you're just going to train in isolation for the whole day? And I'm like, well, I mean, but like, aren't they? He's, he's like, so they're not playing soccer is what you're saying. They're not, he didn't say that. He said they're not playing football. He's like, he's like like they're not they're not playing football and i'm like well yeah but i mean we're working on this he's like well what you're working on is concept that has nothing to do with the game concept is in your mind the game is actually what's happening in front of them so how do you know this is working until you put them in there with them and if you never mm-hmm. put them in there with them all you're doing is teaching them concept that they can never actually activate in a game and it really made me think of oh my god i've been going around this all the, all the wrong way and really humbled me, I'll tell you that, in that spot right there. So I thought it was a big deal at the, at the time. At the time. <laughs> and he was so nice about it, too, that I was like, ooh. So, but uh, where was my train of thought other than, uh, than Franz is great? Uh, I know, it's like uh, his podcast again. <laughs> I know. Um, well, well, Andy, um, before, before we go right here, um, first off, thank, thanks for being a fan of the show, honestly. That, that means a lot Absolutely. to us. I, again, it, it really humbles us when, when people reach out and they – you know, they say, oh, I'd love to be on the show. And I'm like, oh, cool. And I'm like, yeah, you know, what, what, what do you want to talk about? And it's like, yeah, I'm talking about Bliss. And I'm uh, the goalkeeper coach, first team goalkeeper coach here. And I've worked with Nick Bow, And I'm, I'm like, Cash Schmeichel and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I think we can make, I think we can make some time for you. I think we can, I think we, I think we can make brilliant. that happen. Honestly, like I said, he just, uh, you know, we're all passionate about goalkeeping and goalkeepers. And um, I listen to the podcast. It's absolutely superb. And like I said, you, oh, you're learning. Yeah. As you're listening, you're learning. And if, you know, as a, as a coach, you've, uh, yeah, I think on the, on the Franz one, uh, where uh, you mentioned the set position, you know, it, it gets you thinking. Oh, it's and, changed. Uh, yeah. it's, it's definitely got me thinking. Yeah, we all have our own opinions <laughs> on that, but I, I, I was trying to work out what he thought was the set position, whether it was the jump under the set, whether it was the standing still. But I think, you know, listen to the, the podcast, like you said, you just... It's brilliant because, as I said, I think once you're a goalkeeper, you're just always a goalkeeper, and um, anything goalkeeping, it just you know it, it ticks the boxes for me. And I think the podcast's absolutely fantastic. Oh, thanks. I mean, well, well, thank you. Well, I'm glad we recorded that so we can use that as a as a soundbite. It's like an uh, in and out <laughs> soundbite promo. <laughs> In, uh, in, in, in the future, um, we didn't even get to uh, even into your academy right here, uh, 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 Andy. But while, we, while we're wrapping up right here, um, if anybody wants to reach out to you, why don't you tell them a little bit more about uh, the academy that you have going on in, in Middlesbrough and, uh, and kind of you yeah. know, the connection you know, we've had with Leeds and all that. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, we, 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 um, we started the, the, the goalkeeping academy and we actually do outfield as well. And, you know, luckily we, we, we coach all level goalkeepers. Uh, in uh, Teesside County Durham and um, and some of the guys have gone into professional academies and uh, professional football clubs and and you know getting to live the sort of the dream as it were we're a, we're an official partner of Leeds United obviously Leeds United have just gone up to the Premier 
the Premiership club and uh, an unbelievable size football club. But I think, like I said, it's just I get the same I get the same buzz coaching uh, an under seven um, as I do coaching uh, a professional. I think you know you can give them a little a little bit of advice or you you say something to them that will you know improve them as a goalkeeper or just make them feel good. And I think that's the great bit. Of, the great thing with uh, with with coaching is that, uh, like I said, regardless of the the ability, the level, I think um, uh, we have we, in my academy we have all ex professionals. So all of them are, are qualified to some level or another. But the biggest qualification is is the personality and the way they deal with the kids. It's uh, it's so so important. And I think uh, even at, at senior level, I think the way you deal with um, with people. To you know, to, to get the best out of him is a is a is a is a key skill in being a, a real good coach. And uh, I think the best coaches can do that. Like uh, Saski said, you know, some people will need an arm around him. Some people will need a, a little bit more of a um, you know a stern telling off, or a, you'll have to approach it. But the be- I think the best coaches um, can can do that really really well. And the the best managers that you know have, you work with, they just manage people regardless of their age. Um, better and that's what I would like to think that that's what we do quite well down at Premier Play you know got loads of good goalkeepers who love diving around flying around all over the place and making saves yeah. and, and and if people want to reach out and know more about it where's the best place for them to reach yeah we have uh, we have a website premierplayerfootballacademy.co.uk we're on Instagram we're on Facebook um, and we occasionally uh, stick some um, stick some sessions on YouTube again just with different level goalkeepers that we have um, just on certain topics, um, because in the here in the UK, there's, there's nowhere near enough goalkeeper coaching. There's nowhere near enough good quality goalkeeper coaching as well. Because again, there's a lot of goalkeeper trainers that keep the goalkeepers entertained, but they don't really, like I said, you know, do much coaching as it were. You know, and yeah. the, the kids go home, the kids go home happy, but. Yeah. You know they're not really getting much coaching, so we we occasionally put little sessions on, and um, but it's an area that hopefully will will we'll continue to grow in. And, but like I said, just being part of your podcast, it's it's brilliant for me, and uh, you know we'll stick it out on our social media, and again just grows the goalkeeper community. Hopefully, absolutely. Yeah, well, we've got, we got some big plans in uh, in the store. We're not we're not going to talk about that just yet, but we got definitely we're going to expanding on that goalkeeping community. Very, I need very, his interior decor. <laughs> yeah and uh <laughs> and, and honestly i mean that, that, i mean we could keep going on andy but um obviously guys if you want to reach out to us again just like andy did contact at inside the 18 media.com that's the number 18 media.com uh, at goalkeeper podcast on all social media platforms you know you can reach out to saskia weber at saskia underscore weber on all social media platforms you can reach out to me at michael magid m-a-g-i-d on all social media platforms. Um, Andy, we're definitely going to have to come to the UK because we're making all these connections over in the UK. And hopefully Saskia can bring a little bit of that goalkeeper coaching uh, to, the, to the UK, <laughs> the, the much needed uh, uh, coaching out there. Um, that's all the time on Inside the 18 today, guys. And we are out later. Hey everyone, it's Michael. Before we move on to our next segment, want to remind you all to subscribe, like, and follow 
at Goalkeeper Podcast on all social medias, including YouTube, where fully edited vodcasts are housed with exclusive clips. The more followers we get, the more we can give back to the GK community. Let's all keep paying the knowledge forward, and on with the show. Welcome to Inside the 18, live from a bunker of some sort, I think, right now. Uh, I'm Michael Majid. With me is uh, social media sensation, as always, Omar Zini, Pro GK Academy. And uh, joining us is actually a sensation. Uh, we, have, uh, uh, the, the legendary, <laughs> we have the legendary Cody Cropper from Houston Dynamo. Uh, Cody, uh, first off, thanks for finding these, uh, these digs for us, dude. This yeah. is... This is next level, right? I mean, yeah, I guess so, right? I mean, all, I guess all the conference rooms were taken, and they, <laughs> the uh, hotel staff said we could just crawl into this little hole and go from there. So. <laughs> this, is, this is the kind of respect that goalkeepers get, right? <laughs> yeah, just, just about, yeah. Just push them off to the side, and they'll be all right. It's good lighting in here, though, so I'm happy yeah. with that. I, I, set up the lights. I bet you what happened was, like, you came to the front desk, they're like, oh, we're doing an interview. They're like, oh, is it, like, is it for, like, tab or something like that? And they're, they're like, no, it's uh, some of the goalkeepers. We're going to do some, some goalkeeper content, and... Uh, they're like, well, okay, so uh, where is uh, where can we keep the goalkeepers as far away from everyone else as we possible? We never bring up who you're interviewing. You just say Houston Dynamo first team. Yeah, what room can you get me? They yeah. give you the good ones. Yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. Um, so uh, first off, th- speaking of uh, good people, think of the fans right here, you guys. Thanks for rating, reviewing, and subscribing. You guys have been absolutely incredible uh, with the podcast. Uh, I think we're o- getting close to 300 reviews now, um, you know, worldwide, and uh, that's. Absolutely amazing, uh, to be honest with you, that, that we're getting that kind of response. I mean, honestly, when this whole thing started, I thought no one was going to pay attention at all. At all. They're like, who's going to listen to a goalkeeping podcast? But but you guys do, and it's, it's really, really awesome. Make sure, you guys, you're leaving your Instagram handle, um, your social media handle, or a Twitter handle uh, in your review, so that way we can send you your prize. Um, but we're not going to talk too much about the fanship thing right now, except for the fact that I know some of you guys have some Q&As. Uh, so we're going to, we're going to kind of get into that. And we were kind of telling Cody here that on the podcast, you know, a lot of the times people go, I don't know if I want to do a goalkeeping podcast, uh, because honestly, I feel like it's going to be like 45 minutes of me talking about like my collapse dive technique. And like, (laughs) we're not going to do that, dude. We're not going to do that to you. Uh, we're going to make sure that you got something quality, uh, to talk about. So, uh, We've got some fans here, first off, that have some really good questions for you. And uh, so first question comes from a guy named Jesse Goldman, and uh, he runs actually Goal Line Performance. It's actually, dude, this is the craziest thing. It's a sports performance company just for goalkeeping, which is, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty awesome. So shout All out right. to Jesse Goldman right. for, yeah. awesome. for doing that and yeah. honestly seeing that it's important. And he goes, okay, Cody, what is your off-season training regimen? Um, starts off pretty slow, not going to lie. <laughs> uh, no, I... To be honest, the last couple of years, um, I've taken a lot better care of myself uh, in the off season, just because it's it, coming back from England. The off seasons have been so much longer, um, which is something that you rarely get in Europe. Uh, and I think in Europe, my longest my longest off season was two and a half, three weeks. So it was it was tough. So like I'd come back in the off season and I wouldn't touch a ball for those two or three weeks. Cause that's your only downtime. But um, since being back in the MLS and having, you know, almost 8 to 12 weeks here or there, depending on the offseason, depending on whether making playoffs or not or, you know, this or that, um, I'm usually in and around the gym four or five times a week and then trying to touch a ball two to three times a week uh, to start. 
And then as we go, it kind of like reverses and I'm on the field more and in the gym less, but keeping my cardio and, and, you know, lifting, you know, high. Yeah. Um, as, as you guys all know, like this is like the most important time to, of the year. I mean, to be honest with you and do two to three weeks of off season. That is, that's yeah. terrifying, dude. Like yeah, how, how do you taxing. even, how taxing. do you even let your body relax? Like it, it was tough. Uh, you know, fortunately for me, my parents, my, my mom and my stepdad, uh, own a house in Minnesota on Lake Minnetonka, which if you know Minnesota, it's one of the bigger lakes. I know the Chappelle show, so I've, yeah. <laughs> close enough, I guess. I guess. Um, it's one of the bigger lakes in Minnesota yeah. and uh, own a boat, jet ski, you know, everything like that. So I would go home and I would completely switch off, switch off. And, uh, you know, it's just nice, you know, go out, enjoy the summers and be on the lake and see my buddies and, yeah. you know, just I mean really go have a few beers with (laughs) you know like that's all you want to do you know you're you're away for 10 months out of the year yeah or 11 months out of the year and all you want to do is just see your buddies from back home um and I've got a great group of guys that uh that I connected with from high school soccer and and playing um club soccer you know like Eric Miller uh was one of my buddies growing up and you know he and I would connect every off season and still do um and it's just it, that's literally all you want to do is yeah. just hang out with your friends and your family and just switch off completely. But I think that also comes through like anybody listening. It's like sacrifice the entire you know you're sacrificing yeah. a lot. Obviously, yeah. we'll get into your 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 past and how you you know you left to to England at a young age. But like you're not going to prom. You're not doing a lot of things yeah. that you yeah. your friends are doing. So you're sacrificing that. But that fun and that kind of taking your foot off the pedal for a little bit is earned and i think that's where the discipline comes in and you're also rewarding yourself and like allowing yourself to just like refresh your mind so that you have that kind of eagerness and, and hunger to go back out there because if you if you grind too much i know i don't have some friends who say i'm going to grind 24 7 like bro you gotta you gotta be very selective of how you grind because you don't want to burn yourself out and if you burn yourself out you're not going to have that motivation to keep doing what you want to do yeah how, how many goalkeepers have we seen that have just burned themselves out because they just overdo it they over they overtrain and they think that 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 they need to do more is more, more is more, more is more. So sometimes understanding like that, dude, like you're saying, that switching off allows you to have, I, I don't want to say like that passion again, but like all of a sudden like that spark is still there because yeah. you're like, okay, now I got a little bit of time away from all of that and now I can kind of get back to business, you know? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's important to just be able to shut down completely, step away from the game yeah. and just take a step back and enjoy life. 100%. But the discipline of you know being in season and, and especially overseas it is a lot harder because you're away from your family, you're yeah. away from your friends, uh, you're away from the culture in which you grew up in. Because no, I mean England is a very similar you know country to the U.S., but it's completely different. Mm-hmm. And the further east you go, the more difference there is in culture. So it's yeah. it's very difficult and. Um, being able to come home in the off seasons in those two to three weeks and just switch off and step back and enjoy the game and not be burnt out was yeah. it, is important. Agreed. Yeah, I think I think one thing too is that you have to recognize the balance in life, not just. And I and I think and I know we're going off of off of Jesse's question in regards to like you know off season training. He's probably like he's <laughs> like he's somewhere. like we do. He's like we wanted to know about like like three sets of deadlifts. So like that's probably what he was like getting at. And like Cody's like yeah, actually I don't do anything. I don't absolutely completely don't do anything in the off season. So uh, why don't you get take that back to goal line performance? See how that works out when you tell the parents that. But even say, even when we talk about like in season, for example, when you have. Uh, your trainings as a goalkeeper coach, for example, myself and my college guys sometimes, 
it's very difficult to continuously. So we have you know minus one right before a game. I'm not going to go out there and you know bank 30, 40 balls because I got to make sure that you're healthy and you're sharp. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll have a technical breakdown or watch some film on a scouting report of the team we're playing. So you know you're still able to stay conscientious of uh, the end goal of obviously you're professional, but at the same time too you're also like I need to give my body a break while my mind right. can still stay sharp. But physically, it's going to be very very hard to get into that next season and like not get burnt out after a month of preseason. It's just it's a long season. Yeah. I mean, you take so much beating. I mean, just in, in preseason alone, you know, at a professional level or a collegiate level, you know, you take so much beating. And I think having that ability to, you know, learn or, you know, learn a lot more about yourself at this yep. level and mm -hmm. know what you need specifically is very important to success as a pro professional. Yeah. You know, like I've been, uh, this is my go going into, my, I believe, my 11th. 10th or 11th season and I'm only 27 and it's like you get to that stage and you know what your body needs yeah. you know that two days before a game you probably shouldn't be deadlifting you know 300 <laughs> pounds right like, yeah or you go out the day before I don't game. know have you met some goalkeeper <laughs> coaches dude I have I have yeah some some are off over here and then yeah. some are down here and it's like eh, where's the middle but um you know like you said you go out the day before a game and you don't need a high intensity session yeah you need the technical aspect, or for me at least, you need the technical aspect with a little bit of intensity. Sure. But it's to get your heart rate up, focus on the technical side of it, and then carry it into the weekend exactly. and, and, and into your performance. Agreed, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, let's move on to this other question here because I think this is actually a really important question um, that th this kid right here has. Uh, and this, is, uh, this goes uh, Jimmy underscore DiMaggio. And, dude, literally, all I could think of was, like, please tell me he's related to Joe DiMaggio in some <laughs> way whatsoever. That would be amazing if it's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, that was my great-grandfather, was Joe DiMaggio. And now uh, I'm into goalkeeping. So uh, that's what we're doing. Um, he goes, how do you constantly stay switched on during the game? For, for me, sometimes I lose focus. And, for example, if a cross comes in, I might not be switched on, and I might just let it fly over instead of coming out for it. Um, well, what, one thing you should do is you should watch the Pro GK Academy um, uh, flighted ball sessions. That's what you need to do. If you watch those <laughs> sessions, you're going to be switched on every time because you you're go. like, oh, if I do it like Omar, now I know what there, I'm doing. Um, dude, honestly, I think even at the pro level, this is, this is something difficult. Yeah, 100%. I think um, it's a great question. I think that for me, the last couple of years, something that I've really worked on uh, off the field is – like the mental fortitude. Um, I've done a lot of like sports psychology training with uh, with Stuart Singer um, out of New England. He actually lives and works in Massachusetts, but he has a partnership with uh, the WNBA team out of Washington. Uh, works with Rice University. Uh, I know he works with a few of the play other players in the MLS. Um, but it's it's amazing to see what you can do off of the field in terms of meditation or focusing on if I make a mistake during a game, getting my mind back to a certain state of, okay, I've made that mistake. It's in the past. Now can I move on? You know, and I think that this ties into that. You know, maybe you're not always 100% on or 100% concentrated, but it's realizing that you're not concentrated or that you're not locked into that exact moment and going okay now i need to bring myself i need to bring it back to within myself and then go from there yeah. and i think yeah. you know that that you know you can do that 
by concentrating not only on the field but off the field as well. I think the biggest point right there that uh, I think what I got from that is just kind of reverse engineering and understanding what it is that in a game, for example, for me personally was how can I stay engaged and it was Mm -hmm. communication. Oh, absolutely. And I think at a young age, uh, my mom or somebody who has watched me play was like, you need to find a way to stay engaged Mm -hmm. in the game. Like obviously my Mm -hmm. team was really good and and the the better goalkeepers find good teams because that's kind of how it works. Absolutely. So at a young age, we're not getting a lot of shots. So we're we're beating teams. I don't know what that says about me, the fact that (laughs) I was always switched on. We were were beating Mike's team (laughs) 8-0. But no, and then it's like, at a young age, you have to figure out a way to stay engaged. And I had, you know, ADD, so I was always yeah. like looking at, you know, the grass or yeah. like my shoes were untied. 100%. And I was like, what can I tie my shoes? And I'm like yeah. focusing on something else. But then you have to kind of reverse engineer and figure out, oh, okay, well, maybe communication is my outlet to yeah. to keep myself sharp and engaged. Absolutely. And after a time, you know, I used to go from very negative communication where my defenders would be like, dude, shut up, to now I'm just like, okay, figure out a way to get clear, concise, direct making sure that what you're saying is is being uh, received by your players in a positive manner. Absolutely. So now you're not only engaging yourself, you're engaging your players. And then from there, like you said, the next level after that, maybe the biggest layer for you is the visualization, the uh, the mental mental approach in the game. And then mm-hmm. I think a lot of times it's very difficult for the younger goalkeepers to do that because yeah. they're very um, there's a lot of stuff going on in their life, so it's very difficult for them to really recenter or have like a lot of time for yoga yeah. or right. for like a sports right. psychologist. Yeah. But like you know, you play at the highest levels in England and here in the U.S. as well, so you know that. There's going to be a lot of you know tabloids, news mm-hmm. uh, people out there trying to you know say whatever they want to say about you. There's pressure on you from contracts or whatever. So you have to be able to find that next layer of your your own self, your own being, mm-hmm. and figure out yeah. how that can translate to the field. Yeah, I, I remember when I was sitting on a bench in a PDL. There's just the media was just so <laughs> they were just so bombarding me. They're yeah. just like they're like dude. They're like we need to know why Ruthless. Ruthless. you're not switched on on that bench, man. I would recommend the Do So app. It's uh, through Stuart Singer. It is. You can pay, a th- I th- believe it's a thirty-four ninety-nine a year annual subscription, or you can do a few of his his workouts, as he calls them, workouts for free um, through the Do So app on the App Store. Uh, <laughs> have you have you heard of Dan Abrahams? Promo promo, here. <laughs> dude. Seriously, Dan, Abra- what's with Dan, Dan Abrahams. Abrahams. Yes. yes, I've worked with Dan Abrahams. I worked with him in England. Oh no way! Yes. Oh yep, my gosh. Southampton. Yeah. You're, so you're, you're, one, of you're one of the people that he could not talk about. That's great. I love <laughs> I love the fact that now now it's official, dude. We love Dan Abrahams. We actually yeah, great, had great. Last week we had books. an episode with Dan Abrahams on um, where he talked about his high performance mindset. Yep. I would tell Jimmy. Uh, who I just was going to call Dimaggio, and it just sounded too weird. I was like, Dimaggio. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Dimaggio. You told Jimmy D. Look, Jimmy, listen, Jimmy D. Jimmy D. <laughs> Jimmy D. Oh, my goodness. No, listen, Jimmy D. So what you got to do is uh, listen to the episode <laughs> with Dan Abrams. What is we this? Had the, we end up cutting it out. No, we talked with, oh. <laughs> with somebody yesterday. She was talking about she worked at Jimmy John's, okay. one of our friends, and she was saying how like crazy they have – People who come in and they time you how you make your sandwich. Like they make, they make sure you put like the chi- the mayo, the lettuce, the tomatoes all in under ten seconds. Like it's oh, it's a it's no so chance, very bro. weird. It's very if, weird. If I'm making a sandwich, I'm like this goes <laughs> here and then oh wait no wait I forgot this so this comes off and then I put this on right. right like yeah. I'm, very tedious about like yep. my food, and it's like well, because you're I'm not I'm not throwing it like <laughs> I'm not throwing it on a bun rapidly, right? Like, dude, like well, a, as a goalkeeper, you're meticulous. You're very yeah. careful about your craft. Creatures you, of habit. You would creatures take it the same habit. way as if you were making a sandwich. Yeah. You know, um, no, listen to the episodes with Dan. We did a an entire episode in regards to the psychology of goalkeeping about a year ago with Dan, and when okay. we first met him in Chicago, and then. Um, this year in Baltimore, you know, we did a, a follow up with that, and he talked about game preparation and high performance mindset. Yeah, so, you know, 
you right there are just living proof right there how important sports psychology is yeah. at the professional level. Yeah, I mean, uh, I went, I explored sports psychology um, during the 2018-2019 seasons um, yep. when personally I was going through a tough time. I didn't know whether I should continue to play the game. I didn't know, you know, I was just going through mental battles. Um, you know, I, I've always known that I'm a good goalkeeper and there are guys out there that would say the same thing, but maybe one thing doesn't go your way or, you know, you're not playing and you start to second guess a lot of, yeah. of what you do. And not just on the field, but off of it as well. And I connected with Stuart Singer through Kellen Rowe and through the Revolution uh, training staff, the ATCs. And it was one of the best things I ever did. Um, you know, it, it not only just helped me get my confidence back, but it helped me be okay with myself in terms of no matter what happens on the field, done this and I've done that and I'm here for a reason. Yeah. And I'm okay with myself and my situation regardless of what it is. And that's off the field. But then on the field, he, he helped me in terms of getting that confidence back and, and finding that ability to make a mistake and get over it in a timely manner to be able to deal with what comes next. Yeah. Because in a game situation, how often do you, do goalkeepers make a mistake or field players make a mistake and you have that amount of time to get over it? Yeah. And a lot of people will go, okay, well, I made that mistake. Now I'm going to crumble into a pile on the floor. Yeah. And, you know, like you can't do that because at a professional level, what is expected of you? You're, you're expected you know, you're expected by the fans, by the media, by your teammates to be able to deal with that pressure. And it's not always easy. It's, it, you know, if you think about players like Danny Rose or you look at the NBA, Kevin Love, you deal with tough times as a professional even though you're, you know, making millions of dollars. Like, it, it, unfortunately for MLS players, that's not a reality, but... <laughs> hold on, hold on. I, I heard about the new CBA. I heard you, 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 it's, a, it's a lot better. You guys at and, least and have tens, very... tens of dollars coming into you. Yes, the, 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 the players' union is very happy with uh, the new CBA, but we're still not at the, the NBA level or the NFL level. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, we're perceived to make millions of dollars, and that's not the case. Yeah. But it all comes back to you know, having the confidence and, and the ability to to be okay with yourself and be okay with where you are and 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 overcome all of that. Yeah. I think this episode should just be called Cody Cropper Believes in Sports Psychology. There you go. Right right there, right there. And so just, just at, literally at this point, because of that statement, I think we should probably like move on to something else, but like so that the so that the title of the show is not that, but that would be amazing. And then if literally it just had like in like the like the little show card, it had like a promo code for like that app. Do so. With like a th- yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. With like a thumbs up by Cody. <laughs> They'd be like, okay. And then you send that over to them. You're like, how much is that worth? Yeah, right. Because again. I'm not sure Stu's paying out for me, but uh, you know, it, it's okay. Maybe maybe I get next year's subscription for free. So let's, <laughs> let, let's, let's talk about today's topic. And today's topic is something that we get asked a lot of times because let's be honest, um, youth keepers – college keepers, um, the professional keepers, you know, as goalkeepers, it's very difficult because only one can play a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. So a lot of us are always moving on to different teams and whether it's a a loan situation, whether we're a a guest player for another club as a youth player, um, whether we're transferring to a new college, 
because there's not an opportunity at the different school. All three of us have been through this this journey, and uh, and we've seen it all the different levels. Now, Cody, you've seen it at honestly literally all the different levels and so i i thought just i mean my gosh if anybody could get give a little perspective and a little advice to, to kids out there um it, it would be you so first off let's first off just kind of start about the, the whole uh, loan situation thing because you know this is something that you're very familiar with and so what comes about usually when a player goes on loan is it it's not always necessarily because they don't lack the they have they lack the ability to play at that club but a lot of times it's more because the club is looking to move them forward as a player right absolutely um you know whether you're going to guest play for a club team you know like you said or at a professional level you're going on loan i think the majority of it is to get minutes obviously the club the parent club that you're playing for wants you to go out and wants you to get game time and, you know, the situation here at Houston is there are three good, good goalkeepers. And at some point, one or two of us will have to go out on loan to get minutes with RGV. And that's just the reality of the position because only one goalkeeper can play on a Saturday. And that, that's the reality. And, and fortunately, we here at Houston have ties to RGV who will allow us to come in and you know, send players on loan to, to get minutes for the first team for the betterment of the Houston Dynamo to help that player develop. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of clubs don't have those ties, and, and sometimes young players or twos or threes get kind of get pushed to the wayside for the betterment of the 18. And that's unfortunate, especially in the U.S., because in Europe you have a much larger scale with – three or four tiers in every country and it and it works out to be well if he doesn't go if we're in the premier league he and he doesn't go to the championship oh well we can go we can send him to a league one or a league two team or even a conference a conference north conference south team you know there's seven or eight great divisions in england where you can go on loan to here there's one or two. So do you feel that like kind of like, uh, you know, the security factor? I mean, Omar and I, we, we've talked about this because Omar, I don't know if you know this, Omar has a very popular Instagram channel and YouTube channel uh, with, a, with a lot of training videos. And he does an off-season training series with a lot of a lot of pros, especially at the USL level. And um, like you're talking about with, the, with in regards to the level of security, did you feel like in, in the UK – that people felt a little more secure. They're like, hey, if it, if it doesn't work out for me here, I know I'm going to find somewhere. And here, guys are a little freaked out a little bit more. And that, that comes back to that sports psychology mindset. I think yes and I think no. Um, you know, I think that they're, as a youth player, like a young pro, you have to be prepared to go out on loan. Um, and, in, and in England, you know, in Europe, when I was there, every player in the academy at Ipswich or every player in the academy at Southampton knew that at some point you would probably go out on loan to get minutes in a first team. Because minutes in a first team against men is completely different to minutes in a reserve game yeah. versus U23s. Yeah. It's completely different level because men are stronger. Men are bigger. They're faster. They're more athletic. They're smarter on the ball. Whereas when you're playing in a reserve game at under-23s, it's still a developmental game. And here... Fortunately, we have MLS. Unfortunately, we do not have a reserve league, but we have USL Championship and USL 1, which are still very good levels. And as a youth team player, or not a youth team player, but a young pro in MLS, you have to be prepared to go out on loan because that's where you're going to get your minutes if you're not playing in the first team. 
Yeah, so what does that mental framework look like? So, for example, you know, you were with, you know, Southampton when you were younger, Ipswich Town when you were younger as well in England. And in those times where obviously you may not have gotten, you know, those first team minutes, what was your mental framework like? Is it just with the understanding, even here in the U.S., that when you are with a professional team or the situation may not look as pretty as you thought it was going to be, you have to be, I guess, with that mental framework and the, the approach of, like, I'm going to have to be okay if I want to take this to the next level. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to be okay with being sent on loan to get the quality minutes because I know that it may be in an uncomfortable position or it may take me out of my comfort zone, but the the macro, the big picture is exactly what I want and this is gonna direct me there. So what, what was your mental framework like? Did you come in with that approach or were you kind of like was it tailored or like pushed into that? I would say you learn that that mental approach, that mental fortitude to be okay with it. I think it's it's very difficult concept to wrap your head around at 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old coming from America over there yeah. to, to Europe or, you know, that must've been just the biggest culture shock out of it. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, fortunately for me, my family's English and I still have family that lives there. So I kind of knew I could tell in the accents that, that <laughs> yeah. here, we go, here we go. No, I know. I know. <laughs> um, but you know, I think over there it, it's a different culture, you know, like when you get outside of the U S it is a completely different game. Mm-hmm. It is not a game. It is a lifestyle. It's a culture. It's a, it's a brotherhood. Um, it, it's, it's completely different. Um, kids over there are raised in the game of football. They bleed colors that they support. Yeah, yeah that they support. And you know, here, un- unfortunately. It is not at that level yet. It is getting that way because with the expansion of MLS, with the expansion of, you know, bringing different cities in, it's bringing different cultures, it's combining, and I think that that's also another test or you know tribute to the MLS is how many different cultures does MLS speak to? I mean, few. Well, I mean, 10, look, look, 15, 20? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. You're just look, you're just looking at Houston right there. Just I mean, got, a I think melting pot yeah, of different I, different yeah. different groups and cultures. I think on the Dynamo alone, we have ten to twenty different nationalities, and that that's amazing. That as a as a corporation, as a business, as a as a unit, we find a way to make it work. And we and you know it's it has been since I've been in it has been tough at times because you have so many different languages. You, know, you have English, you have Croatian, you have different variations of Spanish, you have different variations of you know Eastern European languages that you know translate here but don't translate here. Yeah. You have you know all of this different, all of these different cultures combining into one, and it you find a way to make it work. It's because, like I said, it's a brotherhood. Yeah, I, I want to talk a little bit about what happens when when a player comes to a new team, you know, because I, I kind of take it as kind of the same thing as like kind of first day of school at like a new new school yeah. and you're kind of like, I don't Very re- much so. I don't really know these kids. Like maybe, you know, one, maybe, you know, one <laughs> right. kid. And I was fortunate <laughs> enough to know two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, two. exactly. So you go there and you're like, oh, they're like, yeah, then that, that kid's like, oh, yeah, I got to go to lunch. But my lunch is in third period and yours is fourth period. And you're like, right. what do I do now? What do I do? I don't yeah. even know any of these dudes right yeah. here. So how do how do you start becoming? I don't, I don't want to say like you'll feel comfortable in the environment because a lot of times like you know, obviously you're talking about, you know, your, your, your playing career, you know, in, in the UK um, and 
going from you know Southampton's youth academy and then all of a sudden going to a professional environment in in a completely different city like you know how did you integrate yourself immediately to feel like okay you know what I am part of this club now as opposed to just like some outsider who's just kind of here just to to get reps you know well I think for me it's been it's been a learning curve because like you said I've, I've done it so many times um unfortunately yeah I say unfortunately, but Hold I've, on, loved, no, I've I, loved every minute of, of it. But let's look at it the other way. If you if you want to take it from the, the positive aspect is, dude, look at all the experiences you've had. Correct. Some, uh, some guys have never had who've been Absolutely. at one club the entire their Absolutely. entire lives. Absolutely. And and I say it unfortunately in terms of like having had to, to pick up and move and do this or, you know, move, you know, across the world, you know, halfway across the world. But again, it like you said, it, it is a positive transition because I've been there and I've experienced something that a lot of players haven't and and I count myself very fortunate to have done that but to get back to the topic yeah I think it's something that I've learned over time that you kind of just have to go in and and be yourself you have to be confident you have to you have to go in and and as a goalkeeper you learn very quickly that you are a leader on the field whether you like it or not know it or don't you're a leader because you're always communicating. You're directing your back four. You're directing the players in front of you, and people look to you to lead. Uh, and you may not wear the captain's armband, or you may not be the, the second-choice captain or the third-choice captain, but you are still a leader. And for me, that's something that I've learned over the years and learned from some of the best, in my opinion, such as Kelvin Davis or Fraser Forrester, Richard Wright at, at Ipswich Town. You know, I've Dave Martin when he was at MK Dons now plays for West Ham United. You know, I, I've seen these guys help the younger players or put an arm around one guy or an arm around this guy and kind of go, look, you're new to the team. I'm going to help you integrate. But at the same time, I've also seen them go, well, I'm in an, an uncomfortable position, but I have to show that I'm not uncomfortable. And I have to go in and I have to lead from the first day that I step in there. And when I came to Houston, that was one of the first things. I, you know, I don't speak fluent Spanish. I speak very broken Spanish. But, you know, I, I came in. I knew Christian Ramirez. I knew Zarek Valentin. And I knew Tab Ramos. And I kind of made it a thing to go. So you knew three kids at I the know, new school. I, well, I knew, <laughs> I knew two, kid, two kids and the, and the teacher. And the teacher. Okay, and the there teacher. you go. Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know. Yeah. yeah. Don't hold that one against me. Okay. Yeah, no, no, I won't. But, um, you know, I, I made it. Of, I made a very conscious effort to go in and shake every player's hand on that first day and introduce myself. And and then in training, you're starting to pick up a name here or a name there. But when you go into, say, small sideds, you make a conscious effort to go, hey, you start with the back the back two, the back three, the back four with whatever you know size field you're playing on. You yeah. go, hey, what's your name? And then, okay, so your name's Andrew or your name's Zarek. Uh, Okay, so now I've got these two guys. Now I'm working with these two guys for 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. Then the next day you come back and it's another set of defenders. And you're like, okay, so what's your name? And then slowly... Are you sure you're not playing Sunday just, Men's League? Is it a different four? I don't know. I, well, I'm saying in, in, in 2v2s, 2v3s, okay, okay. you know, 4v4s, different size fields, right? And then you work your way up to 11v11s and you got yeah. a flat back four. Or, yeah. you know, even sometimes you've got, you know, five at the back. So, yeah. you know, you're, you're learning these, these names... And they start to stick. They start to stick. And then you slowly become friends with them. And you slowly, you're in the locker room and you're putting yeah. your arm around one another. You know, you're, you, you know, you're making that, that, that contact that, you know, shows friendship. For sure. And it's like, okay, well, this is, 
This yeah. is the right way to do it. And, yeah. But you have to be confident within yourself, in my opinion, to do that and to, to make those advancements. Yeah, I think, the, I think for me personally, the, the, the biggest misconception, I think, whether that's through social media or people downplay it on, on, on TV when they answer questions about the camaraderie and chemistry within mm-hmm. a team, is that the misconception that I had was whenever I went to a new school or whenever I went to you know join a new team, it was that you know I saw other friends join their team and like I could see them already being friends right mm-hmm. away. When really everybody has a different type of personality. Yeah. Me personally, I'm I'm more of a I'm outgoing once I get to know you. Mm-hmm. But when I was younger, I used to see my friends who were just outgoing no matter what, and right. I would I would kind of use like where I was and try to you know my worst characteristics and compare them to my friends' best ones yeah. or other people's best characteristics. And again, you're setting yourself up for failure because it's very difficult to meet that standard when you're that's not you right so it sounds to me like it's just a process and i think a lot of kids when you're moving to a new team when you're stepping into a new environment do understand what you're good at in terms of people like in terms of how you how you get to know people but it's a process something you have to work at it's not going to be you step in and right away you're going to be friends or you're going to your command that trust from your defenders no little by little like you said you walk over you shake everybody's hand it may not have been something you did when you were 15 going to ipswich but you're i mean dude you're your, your perspective is so much different, though, because you're 27, I'm 27, and, like, you're, in terms of ex- experience, being in a locker room full of men and being right. in a new culture, new environment, you kind of had to expedite your, your maturity level and just become a man in a sense of, like, if you yeah. want to be heard in a, in a locker room full of men, you have to be the one to initiate yeah, that. you have to be boisterous, you have to be loud. Real quick, yeah. and, and just, if you don't mind, just, like, kind of explaining that process and to any young kid out there who may think that moving to a new team is this crazy thing, can you kind of like in a short maybe 30 seconds like explain the process of how they should kind of approach that that maybe would allow them to not see it from such a crazy perspective but more of like a I can actually do this with a process and a plan. Right. I, well, first of all, I think I'm, I'm going to tie this back into mental fortitude and sports psychology because sure. one of the things that Stuart works on or has worked on with me is you can't compare yourselves to others mm-hmm. because when you compare yourselves to others – you're seeing only the best of them. You're seeing their ability to be outgoing, their speed, their strength, and you're comparing it to maybe something that's not as to the same category within yourself, and you're going, well, I'm not as strong. I'm not as fast. I'm not as outgoing. But you, you excel in other areas. Sure. So you can't compare yourself to other people. You have to be okay with what you are and who you are and be able to walk into a locker room and go, well, this is me and I'm going to use these abilities to be the leader that the position requires and that the team needs and that I know that I can be. And that's something that I've learned the last 10 years is, you know, you walk into a locker room and you can't be – the quiet kid who sits in the corner. You have to learn how to how to adjust and connect with kids or teammates or coaches. And for me, one of the biggest things was first time you meet somebody, firm handshake, eye contact, my name's Cody. And you de- instantly demand yeah, sets the tone. presence. Yeah, sets it the sets tone. the tone of I'm here to, for business. Yes. 
I want to be here for business, but at the same time, I want to be your friend. Absolutely. And that's why I'm coming over and introducing myself. Yeah. I, I think one of the really good things, and I want all the kids out there who are, who are watching this or listening to this to hear this, is that a lot of you are probably going like, well, where's you guys haven't talked anything about like footwork and handling and like yeah, handling across and stuff like that because that's completely superfluous to what we're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. When it talks to making an impression with a team, with a new team, it's not about what you're doing on the field. It's what you're doing off the field that's really going to make the difference. Like, you know, in regards to the job stuff, like that's going to work itself out. You know, yeah. you go out there and you try to do the best job that you can do. But the way to really integrate yourself is to have that human connection with everybody, whether Absolutely. that's the players and the coaching staff. And honestly, whether it's the, the you know, the, the number one veteran alpha keeper who's, you know, played in World Cups or anything like that, or, or the young, you know, 15-year-old kid who just got brought up from the youth academy yeah. to train with you guys, but to, to find a human connection with everyone. And that's really how you integrate yourself with the team, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think just being yourself and, and using those tools that you have is what's going to set you aside from somebody who's pretending to be something that they're not. And that instantly draws connection, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, how, how important, I want to ask you, how important is it to develop a relationship immediately with the other goalkeepers? It, beyond measure. I think going into, a, going into an environment where you're going to work with two or three guys every single day, at least in a professional environment, having the friendship, going out and... and, and connecting outside of the game, grabbing dinner, grabbing a coffee, um, you know, texting here and there about something that, you know, happened in training, a joke that, you know, you're going to, you know, pick on the goalkeeping coach tomorrow. You know, like we've all we've all been there and like this year with with Michael and with and, and Marco, we've really connected in terms of just an overall good group, but we always pick on Raj. You know, like whether it's his accent or, yeah, you, guys, you know, <laughs> phrases that he says or, you know, like, you know, he goes, this one's for your eyes. And then, you know, five seconds later, we'll turn around to each other and go, well, this one's for your eyes. It's just like, you know, like you have a little bit of banner. And I yeah. know he's not going to like that. I'm sorry, Paul. But Well, I mean, dude, know. the thing is, I think you guys are just brave souls. Yeah. I mean, because <laughs> right. he, Paul Rogers is a very intimidating looking man. He is. Like when he you, is when very intimidating. At, I remember the first time, honestly, I met him. So I was working a soccer first goalkeeper camp I ever worked with soccer plus. And he was the director of that camp. It was in San Diego. And uh, I remember the first day, and uh, he looks at he looks at me, and I'm striking a ball. He's like, he's like you can't strike a ball. You're not going to make a very good goalkeeper coach, are you? <laughs> and I'm, I'm not doing it in the accent because I'm terrified of him. Um, but at that second moment, I was like, I can't strike a ball. Because <laughs> Paul, and I, I, to this day, I don't know if he was messing with me or right. if he was being completely yeah. honest. Oh, no, you never know. His, his <laughs> yeah. a, he has one tone, and it's serious. And it, it, it's, he's a great guy. And he's a great goalkeeping coach. Uh, you know, from what I've experienced so far, he's, he's been he's been, as Marco would say, top. Um, but uh, <laughs> I really hope he does this like to too. I, I hope he does this too, like yeah. <laughs> top, like that. Top, yeah, top. But from but, I think from a different perspective, we could take it as like from the coach's perspective as well. It's important when you have a new goalkeeper or somebody maybe younger doesn't have experience or older and has experience. It's like, hey, look, when you're coming into the team, it's our job as well to help you integrate. And I think yeah. that is, is, I mean, from the coach's side of things, I think that's really important to make sure that you're, again, it comes back to the effort. In life, a lot of times, it's like, you know, uh, there are certain, say, for example, MLS team is in town. You know, sometimes, like, I might be shy or you know, don't want to reach out to the goalkeeper that's coming in to play Galaxy mm-hmm. or LAFC. 
But when I do, they want to meet up for coffee. And now we're establishing a, a friendship. Yeah, absolutely. As easy as that may seem, a lot of times, like you said, you have to get to know yourself before you can embrace yeah, others. 100%. And that, that kind of comes back to the confidence aspect of, of embracing as a coach is you need to understand what you want as a coach and what you want from your goalkeeping unit. If you only want to focus on the starter, there's no way you're going to make the effort to integrate anybody else. Right. But if you want to you know, establish a good goalkeeping culture, good goalkeeping unit, you have to be able to make that effort, intentional effort, to say, look, Cody, I know you're a new guy here. This is how we do things. I know you've had this great experience. We have maybe a 22-year-old who's coming in for some sessions. Can you also just make sure that you know you can yeah. relay my information to them because he may not get everything from right. me. So right. it's just like that effort that you have to make the intent to do. And then from there, I think that's where you set the tone, like you said, with that handshake because you made the effort to go, you know yeah. what? I'm going to step up to somebody. I'm going to show them why I'm here. You have fun, have some banter, but once you step on the field, it's got to be a switch. Dude, yeah. And that's the understanding 100%. that I think a lot of young kids need to understand is like, we can say all this stuff about making an impression, but at the end of the day, Cody Cropper is being brought into Houston Dynamo because he's being brought into to fight for that number one job. Yeah. And that's the business side of things, which unfortunately right. you've had to you've had to learn. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. But you have to. But you have to leave. You have to leave that on the field. You yeah. got to leave that on the field. Yeah. If you're going to have a good relationship when you first come to a new club, you're going to have have that on the field. Um, all right, I want to talk about this, and um, you know, this is this is one of those things that. By the way, I love the thing what you said in regards to the handshake thing. I think I'm going to steal that. I'm going to tell every kid that because uh, yeah. that's absolutely brilliant. Just yeah. looking them in the eye and just that handshake because that's that. A lot of people don't do that, man. No, not no, especially in today's like day and age, today's society, that has gone by the wayside. And you know, one thing that you know I can firmly say that I learned from you know my father or from you know my grand my grandfathers was a firm handshake just demands attention. Like it not, does. it doesn't demand attention. It demands respect. It does, yeah. In in. When I when I give a man a firm handshake or, or or a woman a firm handshake, they immediately draw eye contact with you. Yeah. And they go, "Wow, that was a firm handshake. I'm gonna remember him." For sure. And because, it's like you said, it's like uh, it, well, it said, set the tone, but it also again establishes for you that you know you, that your business as well. Like you really do want to take that that personal connection with somebody seriously. Yeah. And like you said, it, in in the business world, anywhere you go, a firm handshake has been synonymous with this person means business yeah. or this person is here to get something done. Right. And I feel like that's the initial line of respect. And then once someone has your respect, like your defenders or your back four center mids, your teammates, your coach, they have your respect. Then they have your trust. Once right. they have your trust, now you've established that friendship that allows you to create layers and create that yeah. banter. Absolutely. You know, it's the craziest thing is always like whenever I meet like a massive goalkeeper, you see, I'm, I'm using the UK phrasing here, the massive goalkeeper as in like a big, huge guy. Um, that firm handshake literally becomes a firm, like uh, full of my arm uh, yeah. shake. Yeah. And it's like, I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> wow. Hands. Yeah. I've just got gravitated into this human, <laughs> human being right here. So I'm definitely connected with this person now. Um, I want to talk about one of the mistakes that a lot of people make when they first join a new team. And that is they try too hard. And, okay. and it's, I think it's something that I just see a lot and a lot. Maybe it's not at the professional level, yeah, you no, know, but at the uh, youth level. Definitely le at the professional level. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, there are always people that, that try too hard and, and it, it varies in whichever way that person is trying to be assert or themselves, assert yeah. themselves, but it, it does happen. Okay. It happens at every level, I okay. would say. Okay, but, so then kids oh. out there, then I want you to know that if Cody Cropper <laughs> says it happens at the professional level, then it can happen at your U9 level. It's totally cool. Real quick, can we, yeah. so as we talked about before, before that we got on, on camera, just like your experience and like your history um, from youth going from 
Uh, I forget which club did you play for when you were younger. In the U.S.? In the U.S. Uh, so now they are Minnesota Thunder Academy. Was it Shattuck? No. Okay. It was – so it was Bangu Tsunami was the club that I played for out of Minnesota. Oh, damn. But, yeah, you crazy sh- name, wild <laughs> name. Oh, wait, yeah. hold we on. Were, Bangu we were, Tsunami? Yeah. But then, you so sure they, that wasn't like an ASO All-Star oh, yeah, team? No, no, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty wild. Uh, so Bangu Tsunami then like – collided with wings in another club and they became MTA. Okay. They all branched and, you know, under the MTA, you know, name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now MTA is like battling with Shattuck and battling with Minnesota, uh, Minnesota United Academy. Okay. But, um, I never actually played for MTA. I was only a Bangu boy. Okay. Uh, like Eric Miller, I uh, was a Bangu boy. Um, I don't know why I keep saying it. <laughs> sounds super weird now. But um Well, and you know what it sounds like? It sounds like it sounds like a really festive, like organized gang. Like, yeah, yeah, right? Like bang, yeah, we're like you know the yeah, Bangu boys. Bangu tsunami. <laughs> the but bang also, the Bangu boys. Yeah. So then so from there then so you were obviously your dad's uh, English and then yes. from there you were seen by is it Ipswich? Uh no, I was actually seen I he connected with Chris Ramsey who okay. a couple years ago was basically the head of the academy at Tottenham Hotspur wow. um he, he my father and Chris were very very good friends when I was a boy and um my dad reached out to Chris and got a you know a contact list of a few clubs that might be looking for 16 17 year old 18 year old goalkeeper uh, sent an email kind of explaining who I was, what I was doing, how big I was, this, that, and the other thing. Sure. And, uh, got a few nibbles from like Wolverhampton, um, Stoke City, Leicester. Uh, I think I went to Arsenal at one point. I wow. trained with Tottenham's youth team. Um, and then eventually ended up going to Ipswich Town uh, on trial for I think a two-week period. Signed there uh, for three years. And then I signed a year and a half under a scholar contract, like a schoolboy contract, um, where I was still, I was going to school, but not like U.S. school. It was like, you know, their version of, I guess, the equivalent. It's not called high school um, because I left. This was all happening at like 15, 16, 17 years old. Uh, So I I never actually graduated high school. Um, And then I went to into my year and a half pro. So I spent three seasons at Ipswich. Then I went to Southampton for three years and then MK Dons for three years. And then came back and signed with the Revolution and now Houston Dynamo. Did you uh, spend it? I know we're going completely off the topic here, but I want to talk about because Southampton has a a reputation. Um, Do you feel that that was an incredible experience in regards to uh, what they have in regards to an academy structure there? Yeah. Uh, There are very few clubs that are structured like that um, throughout the world. Uh, I think the structure there is, I mean, they have guys or kids, I say guys, kids that are six, seven, eight, nine years old. And it's like these guys come in every day and they go to school through, um, a program that is set up through Southampton. And then they train through a program that's set up by Southampton. It's, you know, they breed their, yeah, they breed soccer players. They breed footballers, and that's all they do. Their academy is structured so well, and it's been set up. and And then 
the advantage is, is that the first team sees that talent, sees that ability, and just Picks them. plucks them up. Yeah. Plucks them up. And if they're not performing, they send them back down for game time. Yeah. You know, if you're 16, 17, 18 years old, you still play in the under-18s every weekend unless you're good enough to be playing for the 23s or you're good enough to be playing in the first team. And, you know, they are creating an environment in which you're playing every weekend at a level, and then if you're good enough, you go up. If you're good enough, you go up again. If you're not good enough, you go down, and you play, and you play, and you play, and you get your minutes. And it's it sets that it ties back into what we were talking about earlier. It sets that mind frame of, okay, well, I'm not performing with the first team. I'm not getting minutes. I'm going to go down, and I'm going to get my minutes with the 23s. Or I'm going to go out on loan and get my minutes with – with uh, a League Two team or a League One team or, you know, this or that. And it's it's an amazing setup and it's an amazing accomplishment for what that club has been able to create. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So once you go back to, like, the initial, your, your Bongo boys. Was it? Bangu. Bangu, Bangu Tsunami boys. <laughs> but you go from there. Dude, I want to see the logo. Surfing I, I got to see it that. It was actually really cool. It was just oh like, it was, dude, it was like a can wild you, phoenix. Can you know. can you send us one? I, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Let me see if I can find dude, one. if you, if you can find going, it, dude. Keep going. Uh, so, you, so you go from from that, from that TL, I can't even say the Bangu boys. And then you just go say BB. B squared. Then you go from there, and you get into your dad. Your dad kind of sets you up with different trials. You finally sign with Ipswich. Mm-hmm. And from there, what was the like your mentality like going from wow. you know being 15, 16, 17 years old, and now you're moving across you know halfway across the world to England? What was that approach like in terms of your mentality? Were your parents uh, have they been priming you and getting you ready for this moment? Have your youth coaches gotten you ready for this moment, or what was that like? Can you just take me into Cody Cropper's mind, 15, 16 years old, where I mean, this is on the brink of happening? So, brink of happening. First of all, Bangu Tsunami logo right there. Yeah. Solid. Oh, wow. Solid. That's very that's European. A, yeah, super yeah. European, right? <laughs> so I don't know if it was like that far along when Dude, I, I was expe- there, but like it was. It's like the buyer like bad, text. Right? Like, that's actually like, pretty solid. I was expecting like a Saturday morning cartoon type situation. Mm, like, unfortunately yeah. not. Yeah. Unfortunately not. I'm kind of, power kind of excited that it was not like that. Um, like a big wave but, with like a hang ten. Like, yeah. Like that then. But uh, I mean, it does sound like a surfer. Right? <laughs> it totally does. But um, anyways, going back. So I'm finishing up my my Freshman, s- sophomore year of high school soccer. Sophomore year. Yeah, sophomore year of high school soccer. Just been. With my buddies Matt Kelly and Alec Monasterio, who were going into their junior no going into their junior year, I was going into my sophomore year, I believe, and I was with those two. I was voted captain for the next year, and I you know this is at the banquet, the end of season banquet, and I come out of that banquet and I get the phone call from my dad, and I'm like, hey, he's like, hey, you know. You can go to England, like, oh, cool. Like, <laughs> like I've always wanted to play there, but like, yeah, yeah. is this real? You know, like, yeah, yeah. I was just voted like my high school captain. I'm gonna miss this. I'm gonna miss it. Like, I, this is what I've wanted my entire. You know, like you, you look at it and and you you set yourself goals. And for, and sure. for me, at one point, being my high school captain was one of those goals. And my dad goes, look, well, you can either stay and be your high school captain, or you can go to England, and play at this level. And he puts, you know, he puts it in front of you like that. And I'm like, <laughs> well, this doesn't make sense. Why am I choosing this over this? I'm going to go here. So we end up going with this decision. But the hardest part was convincing my mom mm. that 
you know, to let, at this point, my parents are divorced. My, you know, my mom lives, my, I live with my mom in Minnesota and my dad lives in Georgia, um, where they both still coincidentally live. Convincing my mom to let her 15, 16 year old son move halfway across the world was probably one of the toughest decisions or toughest conversations that my dad had to have. And I think that I ended up having to have too, because it yeah. was like something that at the end of the day I wanted to do and I wanted to experience. And, you know, I, I think I kind of guilted my mom into it in terms <laughs> of like, you're going to take this away from me. <laughs> like, how could you? And I think I felt my, I think I made my mom feel like a little bit like a, like an a-hole, but mm -hmm. for like trying to take it away from me. But looking back on it, I understand because, you know, I don't have kids of my own, but I can relate to, for sure. you know, I live away from my wife now and it's like, I can't imagine letting a 16 year old son go, let alone living, you know, across yeah. the U S from my wife. For sure. Right. Like, yeah, it, it, it's difficult when you live apart, but halfway around the world to somebody that you literally gave birth to is, yeah. is probably not an easy let go. It's, it's funny because at, at 15, 16, you, you don't understand the gravitas of that. Oh, whatsoever. You're like, not. this sounds awesome. Yeah. You're, yeah. Well, all you're all, at that age, all you can concentrate on is me, me, me. Yeah. Right. And like, even until about three or four years ago, I think to the point where I asked my wife to marry me, I was still me, me, me. Yeah. You know, like at 25, 26 years old, I, you know, I was still like that. On, you know, <laughs> I'm sure that's something to like brag about. It's like, so don't be that guy. But um, it, it's crazy because, like you said, at that age, it's about me and it's about what I want to do. But you just don't understand to that level what that decision means the magnitude yeah. to yeah. how it affects yeah. everybody That's else around the magnitude of that decision right yeah. I, I want to talk about this and then I, I know we've been going for a long time but thanks to Cody for first off taking of the time course. we've been going close to an hour dude and like I know oh, really? I know these are long days and stuff like that oh, oh when we talk goalkeeping dude yeah, I, I, mean, I always tell people like get carried away I mean we sure. had a situation once where someone told us that, that they'd give us 15 minutes and an hour and 15 minutes later they're like oh we're still going oh, we're oh wow we're good um, just because you know dude, how often and I, I always try to explain this to people um, you know when they when they come on the show that we're not we're not journalists we're goalkeeper coaches and we're, we're former goalkeepers so we don't want we don't want q a we don't right. want that that sort of thing we really want to get to know all the goalkeepers because you know ultimately regardless of what level you're playing at we're all part of that same family and um and the more information we can give to you know young players out there or even older older people out there you know is is beneficial and speaking of that i want to talk about the national team um, okay. because that is talk about stepping into first day of school of an environment unlike any other you'd probably been in before in regards to the senior national team. Um, how do you, when you go into an environment where you, um, I don't want to say you're the lowest person on the totem pole type of a situation, but, but you are, yeah, but, but you are. Yeah. 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 You know why? I didn't want to be disrespectful in, no, in, not in, at all. in that situation right, not there, at all. right there, but, um, where you know, because this this is a similar thing. This happens a lot of times, and a lot of guys when they go to college for the first year, mm -hmm. you know, their freshman year um, or their first year pro, they they can't handle they can't handle the fact that they're not the alpha. Um, so, yeah. what advice do you give to those those players that they go into that environment? Maybe using you know yourself as an example from your experience. That I think not only did I experience you know lowest man on the totem pole in terms of u.s national team but like when you're at a club that's playing in the premier league or when you're at a club that is playing in the mls and you're not the first guy you know it 
you learn, you have to be able to learn from the guys that are in front of you. So you're referring to my time with the men's national team. Tim Howard, Brad Guzan, Nicky Romando. Historically, three of the best goalkeepers that the not only the MLS has seen, or to the point of Timmy and, and Brad, but you know those guys have played in Premier League. Those are probably two historically probably top twenty five goalkeepers in in English in the in the England Premier English Premier League or even in the Championship for Brad. Yeah, um, but that the U.S. have seen, and it's like you go into that and you're like, wow, you know, like I'm nineteen twenty years old and yeah. I'm in the same camp as these guys. Yeah. Um, I'm on the same level, and looking back on it, I, I wasn't ready. Um, but you're not the alpha. You you quickly realize that because yeah. these guys are playing at a level that are that is miles above you because they are playing in the Premier League week in and week out. They're playing in the MLS week in and week out. They're playing in a World Cup every four years. They're playing national team games every every international break in you go into these camps and you soon, you quickly realize that you have to be a sponge. It doesn't matter what environment you're in, whether you're the alpha, whether you're not the alpha, whether you're the best goalkeeper for your country or the best goalkeeper for your club or not. It is literally going into that environment and becoming a sponge and learning everything that you can. For sure. And finding what works for you is the main, for For, me, is the main key because... The amount of goalkeeping coaches that I've worked with and the amount of goal, different style goalkeeping coaches and then different style goalkeepers that I've worked with is a broad spectrum. But you get down to it and you sponge off this guy, you sponge off this guy, you sponge off this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. But you find what works for you. And that was actually some of the best advice that I got from both Kelvin Davis and Timmy Howard was you have to learn everything sift through it and find what works for you yeah whether it's distribution hands set position um set shape decision making everything i mean we, we ran a clinic yesterday and i i one of the things that i stressed and I, I believe almost stressed it as well too is that you know ultimately we're here to give you tools for your toolbox mm-hmm. and to give you some some education but we're not playing the game mm-hmm. so you can't rely on the coach to make the decisions Correct. for you. You have to be willing to improvise in a game because yeah. not every situation is going to be the same. And no. you know, and sometimes it's going to call for a, a block save here, and in another one, you're going to go into a, a cobra shape and, and go down into the smother um, or whatever anybody calls it nowadays. I don't know. I'm old school. Uh, I've never <laughs> even heard cobra shape. So I was I was shocked yeah. when he pulled that one. I was like, what? It's a <laughs> cobra shape. Ask Raj. Hey. Ask Raj. That was a big uh, Tony DeChico thing. So okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask yeah. him that tomorrow. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I think uh, one thing that I again. Every time you know we have a guest on, I, I, I like you said, being a sponge and just learning and listening and trying to understand yeah. your concepts and how you, let's say, you sift through it, but how you are able to process the information that you're hearing from us or you're hearing, you know, that you from your experiences, how you relay that back. I'm learning that as well. And from what I just took from there is that, you know, we talked about it early in the podcast, not even about goalkeeping, but more on the human side, the EQ, the emotional intelligence aspect, is that you need to be able to be versatile as a as a person where you're stepping into these new environments. For example, you're getting called into the first team, you're, you're the first national team, you're stepping in there, you're stepping in with these guys who are giving you the, the 
I guess the idea of look, you're the young guy here, you need to be a sponge. And yeah. then from there, then you go to the U20 World Cup, you're taking that information that you're listening from the first team or from Southampton or from Ipswich, you're taking all that information that you may not even be a starter, you yeah. may be on the bench or whatever, yeah. but you're getting all that information. Then once you actually are pushed into that starting role or you're fighting for that starting role, then you become the starter for the World Cup in the U20s. Now you're able to take all that information that you've learned, you've been able to uh, kind of sit behind the scenes and now you're the one who's being asked, hey, we need you to be the, we need you to be the leader. But now you have all that gathered information because you had the perspective of maybe I'm not the guy, but maybe one day I will be. Right, so why 100%. don't I take all this information? And again, it, it goes down to the perspective. And again, it goes down to the mentality. It's very deeply layered. But everybody needs to have that mental framework of understanding yeah. where you yeah. are, but not just where you are, but where you where you want to go. And Being understanding patient enough to know that you're going to get there someday. Yes, exactly. But all those little skill sets, all those little tools in your toolbox like we even spoke about, who was it recently? Uh, Zach Lubin, who's on Phoenix, you know, Phoenix Rising. Mm-hmm. So he was didn't play that often in his career, but over over time he stuck with it, learned all these new principles from different coaches, yeah. learned uh, behind Carl, and learned all these little things. And then finally he gets his chance in goal, and we saw what happened with Phoenix last year. Yeah. So it's just the, the ability to yeah. understand. Everyone f- figures out at different times, but yeah. gather all this information, and yeah. then when it's your turn. Trust the process that when it becomes your turn, you know how many people salvage their opportunities when they have their when they oh, have their chance because they were like, you know what, I don't need to listen because I'm not the starter. Right. But when it became their time, they weren't able to seize that opportunity because they yeah. didn't uh, respect the process in a right. sense. And and for me here at Houston right now, I am the senior goalkeeper at 27 years old. I'm the oldest goalkeeper here, and it's like I've had this conversation. It's crazy to me, but I've had this conversation with Paul. And I've had this conversation with Kelvin because I still stay in touch with Kelvin, who's on Southampton's first team staff, and because I, I I just respect him and I expect his I respect his opinion and his his understanding of the game and everything like that. But I'm now the senior goalkeeper at 27 years old. How often do you hear that? That that's the oldest goalkeeper at a club? Yeah. And I have to have days where if I'm having a bad day, I have to recognize it and go, okay, Cody, you're having a bad day today. Today is not your day. Can you be better? But I not only have to be able to do that, I have to be able to go, Michael, you're not having the best day, okay? My arm's around you. How can I help you? Can I be the leader that, or can I be the experienced pro that is expected of me? Can I step into that role, and can I make you better on this day where you're not good as well as myself? Or when the 16-year-old you know, Logan comes in, or when they call a keeper up from RGV to come train with us, can I help them adapt to this to the pace? Can I help them adapt to the session? What can I do to help you, but at the same time also keeping me there and bringing sure. them there as Absolutely. well? Because it makes you better. Because like, it makes yeah. you better. It pushes you to be a better goalkeeper, player, and person. Yeah. Because you're not only looking out for the betterment of yourself – but you're looking out for the betterment of that person and the group, the union, the goalkeeper family, the brotherhood, the et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It, 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 and it's something that I've learned this year, this calendar year, physically, physical calendar year, that you cannot only be about yourself. You have to be about the betterment of the people around you and the maturity level has to be there if you want to step into that role of senior goalkeeper, of experienced goalkeeper, of 
mature person, leader, husband, you know, friend, son, you know, yeah, whatever it is, sure. you have to podcast be able, guest. Yeah, yeah pod, <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Podcast guest, <laughs> sponsored athlete. I, I don't know. I I don't know what's going on. Here. Yeah, but no, for real. I think that's, those it, are all. It, great it all ties back into each other, and, and it's amazing how the world works. Like I know this is getting really like, hey man, like. This is philosophical, <laughs> but like, right? Like, but goalkeeping is philosophical. But, but yeah. It is, and, it, and we're all creatures of habits, and mm-hmm. what you do off the field impacts what you do in the locker room, which impacts how the team plays and ultimately impacts how you play. Yeah. And it and it and it's a vicious cycle. It is. It's a vicious cycle. I, I know I know, we've gone way over an hour, but honestly, dude, I, I feel like we could go on about this forever because there's just so yeah. much great information yeah. out for there. Sure, for sure. But I, mean, could, I, but I want to bring up something you brought up, and that you, you brought up, um, you know, uh, players coming up to the team and understanding that speed of play mm-hmm. is going to be different. Yeah. Especially a lot of times 100%. when we're throwing up a player from the, you know, the second team or the youth academy and, and bring him to the first team speed of play and they're going to make mistakes yeah. and oh, they're 100%. going to fail. And I think that's one yeah. of the toughest things that young kids, um, not just young kids, but even, even pros yeah. deal with is that when they come into a new environment, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. Why? Because it's unfamiliar territory. Yeah. You've never been there before. And coaches too. You're going to be in over your head a lot of yeah. times when you get a new job because you've never been there before. But you can't be afraid to fail. Yeah. And, and again, this, the, I'm telling you now, the best thing I ever did, do so app, Stuart Singer, I love you, buddy. <laughs> I, and I'm building you up because one of his workouts is based around fear of failure. You cannot be afraid to fail. And, and when you step in, into an, an environment that's uncomfortable, you fall into a shell of yourself because you're afraid to fail. But Michael Jordan, one of his, his greatest comments is, you know, I, I failed over and over and over again. But that failure got me or created the the Michael Jordan that you know today, yeah, right? The one that you, you know, he wasn't, he didn't make his, uh, what was it? He didn't make his, his, high, school his high school varsity team. Yeah. Didn't get, you know, D1 offers or, you know, it was like a few things like that, right? Yeah. No, I think, I believe what it was is that, uh, he, yeah, he didn't make his high school. He, he got cut from his varsity team. Yes. He had to play JV, um, which is insane to think that Michael Jordan played ever played junior varsity basketball. Correct. Um, considering I played varsity soccer. <laughs> Like my freshman year, like that's a that's a scary scary thought uh, to think that. But um, <laughs> sorry, I'm not, not. I don't want to put myself at the level of Michael Jordan in any way. Maybe as a as a podcast sidekick, maybe I'll I'll do that. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> look. Um, but uh, but it was that, and then I believe North Carolina. No one said he could play at the level of North Carolina. Right. Is that, okay. So you get to that point, yeah. and you're like, how does? Sorry, I'm getting like super handsy. No, no, it's all good, dude. My wife. That's why we got my, got, my wife got, gets on. We got the video it. so that that way. <laughs> what do I do with my hands? <laughs> that's um, why you didn't want to hold the microphone. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, I bet you but, Jimmy DiMaggio talks with hey, his hands. Hey. I don't know. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> um, but you can't be afraid to fail. Yeah. Michael Jordan failed over and over and over and over again. Somebody told Michael Jordan that he was not good enough. Are you kidding me? Somebody told Kobe Bryant that he wasn't good enough. Yeah. Uh, how can you look at that? And go, okay, well, I'm too afraid to fail. You look at the success that they had, and it's like, these guys failed at some point. Yeah. Dude, I'll, why can't I be the next Kobe Brown? Why can't I be the next Michael Jordan? I, I can tell you that every time I got 
released by a team, and it happened a lot um, that I got released by a team. It just motivated me to keep getting that much better, that much better, that much better. Yeah, adds fuel to the fire. Dude, honestly, and I, and I will say that I had a longer career and played at a higher level than a lot of guys that were way better than me. And that's the first non-self-deprecating thing that I'll say on this podcast. <laughs> well, I'm going to bring it back to a goalkeeper, to the goalkeeping realm, to the goalkeeping world. Yeah. Kasper Schmeichel, look at the list. If you're a kid out there and you're afraid to fail, look at the list of loans that Kasper Schmeichel had as a young pro. It is endless. I mean, endless. Went on loan to League Two teams, to League One teams. He was bought by this team, then went on loan because he wasn't good enough. And now he's one of the best. He's being scouted as the replacement if Man United decide to sell that. Yeah. 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 He's the captain of Denmark. He's, I think he's, um, I think he's competing with his father right now for Danish caps like most ever. He's, uh, I think he's in that realm and it's like, how does a guy go from being owned, sold, bought, loaned, this, that, because he wasn't afraid to fail. He went out and he wanted these games. He wanted to play the game. And he wanted to develop. And he learned from X coach, Y coach, Z coach. He learned from this goalkeeper, that goalkeeper. Took it all in and found what worked for him. And now he's playing in the Premier League and he's the captain of Leicester City. Who won the who won the Premier League three years ago, four years ago. So, guys, what you need to do is listen to Cody Cropper, get the Do Told So him. app, and you will become... <laughs> you will succeed. You will fly. You will be Casper Stewart, Schmeichel. I'm expecting free... Free... Merch, if anything. Well, not merch. Free. Just free subscription on my, on my phone. Free subscription on my phone to the Do So app. Stuart Singer... This Hook is a, this is amazing, Omar. You got any, any, anything else? Because I think uh, I think we've covered quite a bit here, man. No, yeah. I just saw on Cody's uh, phone the Mamba, Mamba mentality. Mamba mentality. Oh, I think, like, okay. I, we, we said it last night at the yeah. clinic that we ran. Yeah, and some of the kids were like, "We don't know." What you're no, but it was like Kobe. One of Kobe's quotes was, "Your the fear of failure should not be greater than your fear of failing yourself." Correct. And I think it, I have that. Yeah, it's it's the truth. It's like you should work so hard and like put yourself through so much that you should. Oh, you legitimately have all his like everything. Well, this is another one. Everything negative, pressure, challenges are all an opportunity for me to rise. There we go. Fear of failure. Yeah, I mean it. it, It's true. You know, you don't get better than that. You have to learn from these guys. You have to. You have to take in what they have to offer and and become the best version of you. Mamba mentality. The definition of mamba mentality. A constant quest to be the best version of oneself, mm-hmm. and I read that every day before I wake, or every day when I wake up, and every day when I go out onto the field. Really, can I be the best version of myself off the field, and the best version of myself on the field? And at the end of the day, if my career doesn't turn out the way that I want it, I know that I gave everything that I had, I did everything that I could to be the best version of me. That's that's super philosophical. No, no, but no, but way to wait, wait, a great way to end. A, it is a great end way to end a podcast, end it. but it's like no, it's a, super true. It's yeah. a great way because the thing is, is that you're talking about something you can control, and all you can control is, is yourself, yourself, and, and what you do, what you do. And that present, you know, like again, that present moment, you know, like you can only control that moment and what you do in that moment and how you are perceived in that moment. Yeah. Um. 
I think. Uh, I think. Like I really like. No, 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 no. I think. I think. Uh, I think that's so a great. I think that's like, a great way. Sorry, to, guys. No, <laughs> dude. I think it's honestly a great way to end it. Honestly, dude, Cody. Like, you're so. I mean, dude, your experiences and everything, and running the gamut through the game, and and just so knowledgeable outside of the game as well, too. Um, honestly, I, I, I really appreciate you coming on. And if like, there's any kids out there or, or coaches and stuff like that, that ever want to reach out to you, like where's the best yeah. place for them to reach out? Uh, DM me on Instagram. I don't have, oh, I have a Twitter account, but I don't, oh, I don't, oh no, I'm dude, not trust me. I, 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 I tagged you on Twitter and then I looked at your last tweet. It was like 2017. Yeah, I, was like, oh, I, I don't, he's, use, he did not well, see this. So like, again, you know, like it, it goes back to the mentality thing, you know, social media is such a bad way to like get down on yourself because you there are guys that'll go and I used to be one of them where I would go on social media after a game and go and read oh Cropper sucks he let this goal in and it's like well you know what I, I look at it now and I go well what do you think what what do you do for a, a job yeah. do you think you can keep that ball out please yeah. come please come and do it you know like I, I understand that that's not a fair statement but like you are good in your world at what you do and I'm okay in my world at what I do. You know, like. I, I think, I think yeah. people need to recognize outside of, of the game and, and a lot of it. And that's one of one of the tough things for me with fan culture or supporter mm-hmm. culture yeah, is yeah, a lot yeah. of times is that, you know, it's your, you're it's looking so easy when you're looking from the outside in. Exactly. You know, and that's it's true. It's true. And that's honestly one of the tough things for us as media, because like you, we want to balance that line between being like, you know, um, subjective and, you know, but having empathy because like, you know, we're, we, we were there as well too, mm-hmm. you yeah. know? So we want to, we want to keep it honest. We want to keep it real. We want to keep it truthful. Um, but at the same time, like we do have a job to like report what's going on. Yeah. Um, I used to do, I mean, I, I, I did a lot of breakdowns and when I was like first getting into the game, just kind of established myself as like a, not an analyst, but like break down the technique and all that yeah. stuff. And as I got more experience, again, like you guys, everyone on the field and for me, even just watching film, like I started understanding, oh my God, there's way more context into all these these movements. Oh, it's phenomenal. And it's like the it's crazy phenomenal. thing about it. Now I started, I shifted now to instead of asking questions of why did why did they do this wrong, to wh- what circumstances led to maybe this turning into an emergency save, or why did they choose to go yeah. with the with the wrong knee different or something like that. Different perspective. Different perspective. So now it's like you're also not critiquing them, but you're allowing other people to say, okay, well through the context of the speed of play because this is at, you know, U20 level or whatever. It's like a different speed of play or this striker's dominant with his left foot, so this is why he decided to cut to this foot and this yeah. is why the goalkeeper was caught off guard. So those little moments now, I'm not, like, critiquing you, but it's more the kids who are watching. They go, oh, now I understand. Yeah. Like, I shouldn't beat myself up or other goalkeepers up all the time. Yeah. I should understand the perspective of the speed of play or what they're going through to make that technical and then tactical decision. So yeah, it's just the, the mentality of switching it up a little bit because – we're still not critiquing, but now they're seeing how how can I not give the benefit of the doubt, but how could I see it from a different uh, perspective where I'm not trying to be negative, but more understanding. Well, yeah. no, you want to see from the point of view of the actual keeper that was in the game. Exactly. Because the yeah. thing is, like, I feel that whenever you do any sort of – and I, I try to do this whenever we do any Champions League breakdowns or MLS breakdowns or anything like that on the, on the podcast of a, of a play. I always try to take it from the standpoint of, like, if I was in the game, if I'm that goalkeeper right now, and that's one of the cool things about having, you know, uh, people, you know, um, like yourself on, you know, who've, who've been through the trenches and, and, and gone through the experiences is that you can actually tell us, okay, like if you watch that video, you know, and I mean, if you ever want to come back on, man, and, yeah. and break down games and stuff like that, we always love having people back on to, yeah. to do it because you can say like, okay, I've been to Minnesota and I know exactly what's going on right, right. there. You know, or like I've been in that, that situation dude, section and maybe he was thinking this, but looking at it, from a slower 
camera perspective. Yeah. Could I have done this? Or this is why I did this, but I think I could have been better and done this. Yeah. And I think one of the mistakes a lot of people make in, in journalism is that they don't, they don't start from pl- the two plays back. They always – a lot of times they break down just the save rather than actually starting from how it broke down or how it became a great save in, in, in the first place. Yeah. Um, well, it's always the goalkeeper's fault. Oh. We've always – we've well, learned no, we've, this, we've right? always like, – yeah. oh, oh, It's not like – it's not just from like a fan or social media or, or – uh, coach or this or that standpoint, it is just literally, it's just always the goalkeeper's fault. <laughs> yeah. It's just how the world works. But you know, like if you're watching, if, if, if we're watching a, a, a tape together, you'd be like, oh, well, that's, there's a divot at that field that's over there. Like you guys don't know about that. <laughs> and like we all know, and like strikers know to hit the ball <laughs> that in that space because that's it's going to take a weird bounce. Right. You know? Well, it's like playing from, from grass to turf completely different game. We, we did literally a whole episode on that we did a, about playing on different surfaces because a lot of people dry grass to wet grass to turf to wet turf to yeah it's all right it's we, we've gone off on <laughs> playing so, in wind tunnels to <laughs> playing in the snow to we've gone off on so many tangents. Yeah. We, we've gone off on so many tangents. maybe we'll have you back on like when, yeah, you, when, when you guys Let's come in it. on on the road and stuff yeah. like that into into la um all right guys that's all the time on inside the 18 remember contact at inside the 18 media if you have a guest suggestion or a topic suggestion please keep leaving those uh those itunes reviews they're very valuable for us that's how people find us if you want to reach out to omar zini he's got 17 different social media handles wow. and they're all that's extremely that's popular <laughs> Um, but the big one is of course at pro GK Academy underscore and check out the YouTube channel. A lot of cool breakdowns coming up on that YouTube channel yeah. and uh, the off season series with all those USL guys is really awesome for you guys to check out. Sure. Plus the big time uh, coaches that you got on there. Phil Wedden session going on yeah, right now. Yeah, it was really good. Next yeah. level, next yeah. level. So hopefully a Paul Rogers session soon. Yeah. Just going to call you out right there, Paul <laughs> for that. I'm um, not, I'm not involved in that call. <laughs> I just want you to know that. He'll promote do so. Yeah, do so. Yeah, no, I'm not. It's not that I'm not. Uh, what's yeah. the word I'm looking for here? Uh, wanting Paul Rogers no, to no, come it, on. Yeah, it's, yeah, you can't speak for him. It's correct. I can't. Yeah. I, and I'm not going to throw him under the bus. <laughs> no, like, no, hey, no. You got to get on the show. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Stuart, you can come on the show. Like I, I'm not afraid to call you out. I feel like you don't scare me as much. I feel like Stuart is going to come on. the show. Stuart's got to come on the show. All right. Like I feel like next many. next week it's going to be Inside the 18 presented by Deduso app. Yeah. So is it do so? <laughs> no, it's uh, at well performance, I believe. At well performance. Yeah. Okay. At well performance. Uh, well performance. Okay. Let me let me let me before right. we before we go. I'm, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I, I have to get this out there. Let me just get it out there and correct. This guys, is amazing. I'm not editing. Eye. I'm not editing any of this. I'm yeah. keeping all no, this. Keep an eye out on Houston yes. Dynamo this year. <laughs> well Maybe performance. Future. Stuart Singer. Yep, that's it. And then he has the do so app, but it is his Instagram handle is at well performance at well Check perform- it out. at well performance perfect um, all right guys, Sorry, guys. we're <laughs> we're gonna go grab dinner we're out later guys See thank you, guys. you. <laughs>